Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Just Saying Podcast. Today, we have a special product for you. It is February 20th, and we've been recording it over the past two days. It was actually Jack's idea, so I'm going to throw it over him to explain it in better detail. So, Jack, take it away. Yeah, so I wanted to uh, to think of an, an episode idea, I guess, where we could get uh, multiple different perspectives on a variety of topics. And uh, we came up with this, where essentially we have five different conversations, uh, all about 20 minutes-ish. And um, they're pretty much all led by our guest. Uh, we, we reached out to them and, and let them know that this is what we were going to be doing, and kind of let them steer what we wanted, what they wanted to cover, uh, as well as you know some uh, advice or I guess some examples by us that we, we could cover. And we sort of just wanted to see where it would go and, and how many interesting conversations we could have in this span. But so basically, you're going to hear, uh, and w- whenever you hear that sound, essentially we're going from one conversation to the next. So you, you'll always be hearing Sam and I's voice, but uh, a new guest will be introduced at the beginning of every uh, particular uh, bit. So I guess episode 17, here we go. All right, here we are. Our first guest, my brother, actually. He's uh, tuning in live from around Santa Monica. We're, we're happy he's safe. The uh, Rams parade I saw was getting a little hectic. We were worried that they were going to push their way up into Santa Monica, mob, you know, start looting through your, your apartment and really make a mess. A lot of people. Me too. A lot of people. <laughs> um, that was embarrassing, by the way, but props to them. We, this is our first pod, by the way, since the Super Bowl. So uh, it goes against a lot of things that I said about the Rams. However, let's, let's get right in. Start off with the first question, which specifically hits home for Sam and myself. What were wrong, what went wrong for the Cardinals down the stretch? As yeah, we all know, man. started seven and one, finished the season 11 and six. Yep. Yep. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to give the floor to you to start. Yeah, I think uh, the Arizona Cardinals definitely had a tale of two seasons. Um you know, we started off really hot, you know, before Kyler went down, we were seven and one. Then, uh, you know, after that, we finished the, the season with five losses. So I think the inflection point was obviously when Kyler went down. Um, I think when Kyler went down, you know, we had Colt McCoy for what was that? That was three games, went two and one. Can't ask for much more with the backup quarterbacks. So that's okay. But I think when Kyler came back, it was a combination of things. You know, we got the first win against, against uh, Sam T. Chicago Bears. Good way for Kyler to break in. Didn't really have to do much. Threw 15 passes, 120 yards. Um, I think he, I think he ran for, I think like 50 that game. So he was, he was playing good. Um, I think what really was the catalyst for the change of this season was that Rams game, uh, from both a mojo perspective and a personnel perspective. Um, you know, it always sucks when you're when your fallback is the team wasn't good enough. But I think when yeah. D Hop went down, it was glaringly obvious that the team just wasn't good enough. Yeah. Um, in a combination of Kyler being a little iffy coming off that ankle, I saw him unwilling to, to set up in the pocket, but also that was for other personnel reasons. You know, um, the, o, the O-line started getting banged up. Ronnie Hudson went on IR. Um, Justin Pugh was banged up. Max Garcia was even banged up. Who's not someone you want to rely on to begin with. But when you have Max yeah. Garcia, who's a solid backup guard. Not a household name. Definitely not center. a household name. Not a household name. 
<laughs> yeah. So if you're, when we're putting him at center or guard, he knows the system. He was playing good ball, but when he gets hurt, then you're on your, I mean, we're, we're putting what Sean Harlow starting at right guard. Yeah. I don't think you want to do that against Aaron Donald, you know, Leonard the, Floyd. Come on. I mean, Von that Miller, game, that, kind of stuff. that, that game against the Rams, that was the game where Aaron Donald pushed Max Garcia into Kyler when he was playing on that right guard. Yeah. Spot. First play so of the like, game. First play of the game. I mean, like, come on. That, that for someone who doesn't know Max Garcia or how the O line or, or D line should interact, you know, that's not supposed to happen. Yeah. But I think the biggest thing is 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 the O line not giving Kyler his time and Kyler's inability to step in the pocket is one thing. But when D Hop goes down, I mean, D Hop is the guy who creates space in the offense. Um, yeah. He's the guy that leaves others open and also leaves that guy who's open in the middle of the field with the field with all of the field to keep running with. Yeah. Um, I mean, I saw before Kyler went down, that was through week eight. He was averaging 8.3 yards in attempt. That'd be second among the NFL this season. Still finished top 10. But after that injury, and then D Hob went down, he's only averaging 6.2 in attempt. So huge difference. What was, what was that? What was the first number? 8.7? Eight, 8.3 eight, eight, versus 6.2. Okay. So 2.1. Two, 2.1. I mean, when you have hop who attracts two guys and really takes two defenders out of the play completely, and then you can have your ride receivers run underneath them and create more space and having one less defender guarding someone. I think yeah. the offense can be explosive without that. It sucked. We had AJ green as wide receiver one was wide receiver two. We also didn't, we left the run game. James Conner yeah. and Chase Edmonds were banged up intermittently, but we were trying to have Kyler throw out of it. I mean, I'm looking at this log right now. Kyler threw 49 passes against the Rams, 50 against the Lions, 43 against the Colts, 39 against the Cowboys, and 39 against the Seahawks. I don't it's think he even playing. hit 39 in any of those first eight games. Yeah. You can't, uh, you can't win football like that. Yeah. It's, to even add, add to that, the uh, the Cardinals went 8-2 and two and averaged 30.2 points a game with Kyler and D-Hop on the field together. Uh, without D hop on the field, uh, in general, just D hop, they uh, were three and four and averaged 21 points a game. So pretty clear nine point point differential. Um, and I, I think my huge point that I made was, and, and it goes to the clear need for a wide receiver too this off season. Yep. Uh, if you look at all the playoff teams, there wasn't a single team with a worst gr- group of wide receivers running out there for that wild card game uh, other than the Eagles. And I'm taking Devonte Smith as a number one over any of the Cardinals, you know, AJ Green or Christian Kirk. Yep. So um, I, I think that, you know, the, amongst a lot of issues, I think it's very clear. And, and Sam, to you know, it's very clear what a, a true receiver can do for a quarterback specifically and just an offense as a whole. I mean, yeah. you had a, you had a wide receiver just give up on your team. So yeah, little, little difference. It's important, especially not that Kyler's like young necessarily, but he is still pretty fresh into the league. So having that presence like D Hop out there is like super important. And like obviously, mm-hmm. you guys know a lot more about this than I do. But like just from my perspective too, like a lot of the stuff that Sam said was stuff that I kind of identified as well. Um, mm-hmm. Particularly D Hop being out just kind of limited the offense a little bit to some degree. You know, there was a heightened pressure on A.J. Green to be that wide receiver one. He's aging. He's had all the injuries, so he couldn't really, you know, mm-hmm. take that load on himself. And then also, that also makes it harder on Rondell Moore to progress in his first season. We kind of have yeah. that smooth transition into the league. So hopefully you guys see more out of him um, as well this next season. But then another thing I know that you guys 
probably will agree with me here too, but J.J. Watt had a huge impact on the defense when he was playing. And Most then as soon as he got hurt, there was a ton more pressure on the DBs to play better, yep. which, you know, kind of – There was a clear correlation with the, the fall off in, in the defense and yes. J.J. Watt's injury. I would I most certainly agree. I think the biggest – the most underrated loss on the defense was Robert Alford late in the season. That guy was having a great year, was yeah. was playing man on every person that he would line up against. Um, I saw I think he was like leaving up like a like a 60 QBR. Was, I forget the exact stat. But regardless, when you have Robert Alford, a vet playing the Super Bowl, can anchor that the defense as the as the man-to-man corner, he goes down. Then you have Marco Wilson, rookie, playing one-on-one against a wide receiver one. He's, yeah. he's guarding Cooper Cup. What he had yeah. guarding twice late in the season. Yeah, that's never a recipe to succeed. But hey, now that we're talking about Cooper Cup and, and and the Rams, sort of, I think it's it's a good time to transition to this. So all the talk now, I guess, is about you know how do you build a team? It's it's sort of the, the new dilemma. Do you build it the old fashioned way that everyone thinks through the draft and and build like a quote unquote dynasty, or do you? just trade all the draft capital like uh, the Rams proved that you can do. And if you win a Super Bowl, it's worth it. So I think l- let's just throw it out there and let's sort of power rank the teams that might go quote unquote Rams all in this season or this, this off season into next season. Um, I'm, I'm going to leave the floor open for whoever wants. Uh, I, I have a, actually quite a handful of teams, but uh, we can start anywhere. Yeah, I had a I had a handful as well. Um, I don't want to. Uh, I'm a Cardinals fan. Uh, one of the teams on the list is the Arizona Cardinals. Um, yep. I don't think that is the team to do it, but it's a contract year for Cliff and Kime. Need to go big before you extend Kyler. Pay him. Public pressure now with all the bad press. They have to go big. Yep. But I think the two teams that really stick out to me are the Denver Broncos and Pittsburgh Steelers. Oh wow! Uh, I think Sam, you're nodding your head. I, I also had the list. I had the Broncos. I was borderline about to put the Steelers on my list, but I kind of left them off just because I was thinking they kind of need to uh, rebuild oh, in some wow. aspects around the offense. But I left them off my list. That's Very interesting. Good. They they both were off my list. I, I want to hear this. I think I'm going to start with the Steelers. It sounds like no one has it. Um, they have over 30 million in cap next year. Uh, the defense is amazing. They got they got players everywhere. Um, you know, on the line, I think it's one of the best lines in the league. You got TJ Watt, Cam Hayward, Stephon Tuitt. He's playing really good. Mm-hmm. Um, in the back, Minka Fitzpatrick sort of anchoring the, the back end of the defense. Yeah. On the offense, Najee Harris, um, productive. With a better line, he's going to be dangerous. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And also, you look at the receivers. Deontay Johnson, target monster. A product yeah. of Big Ben not being able to throw the rock. So he was sort of a safety blanket. Juju's off the books. Chase Claypool looks good in his flashes. He's a, he's definitely like a down-the-field threat. If I look at the Steelers, though, first of all, I am the most confident in any team to have a winning season any, yeah. every year as the Steelers. With that much cap in that defense, I think all you need is a quarterback. There's a lot of quarterbacks on the market right now. Aaron Rodgers, yeah. maybe you trade for Russell Wilson. Should even Maybe even you go for Kirk Cousins. Maybe, um, you, get, uh, maybe you get Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett, I don't know if that's the way you go all in first uh, first year. (laughs) But if you get a quarterback, why wouldn't you first? Why wouldn't you want to play for Mike Tomlin? Um, I would agree. They need to do that O line. Need one more target in that in that wide receiver group. I don't see why the Steelers won't won't go all in. What? What? what, uh, I'm sorry. 
just spitting over my words. What makes you guys both think the uh, the Broncos are in that discussion? I mean, for me, that one's just kind of centered all around Aaron Rodgers. I think they kind of to what Sam was saying about the Steelers, they need to kind of rebuild around that quarterback position because they have a super solid defense, a lot of young, uh, exciting pieces on offense, which obviously some of those you may have to ship in order to get Aaron Rodgers. But I mean, like if you're able to maintain Cortland Sutton uh, or Jerry Judy, keep one of those big guys there. And then also you had kind of Javante Williams emerging as a really good running back this past season. Yep, forgot about Javante. If you bring a, a pretty solid quarterback in there, I think they'd be able to make a deep push. And this year we saw it with the Rams, like you mentioned earlier, they brought in a pretty solid quarterback, decent roster, kind of built around him um, and got the, the stars. And obviously we, we know the end result there. So. Hundred uh, percent. I actually so with that exact thought process, that's where I chose Browns. I had the Browns at the top of my list. Mm-hmm. Um, Twenty million in cap space, they can make it thirty-seven uh, according to over the cap if they do some restru- restructures. They have all their own draft picks too, and they have the Lions fourth uh, and seventh. But the fourth, I guess, is, is is essentially a third round pick, so it's relatively valuable. Uh, that's a team that I think. If they're able to pull off the trade for the for the quarterback, I think they immediately become very interesting. Uh, that assumes you're you're likely giving up this year's first. Uh, if they're able to build the roster and go forward with Baker, um, then I can see them drafting someone of the likes of you know Garrett Wilson, a stud wide receiver, and, and maybe pouring some of the assets to fill surrounding needs. But also along the same lines, I have the Chargers who have the quarterback and have 50 million in cap space and can make it even like 80 with some uh, restructures. They have all their own picks as well. So that's actually a team I'm, I'm paying attention to. What do you guys think? Or do you think it's too early? Do you, do you think that might be rushing it when, when you have Justin Herbert, who is uh, going into his third year in the NFL? Yeah, that one stuck out to me too. So they're among one of the, the highest teams with cap before cuts restructures. Justin mm-hmm. Herbert's the guy. They have some folks there. Obviously, you have Mike Williams leaving in free agency. So mm-hmm. that's an immediate call it 10 to 15 million from that wide receiver position that needs to get filled. Yeah. Um, I am beyond impressed with Justin Herbert. I am not as impressed with Brandon Staley as people I think um, said earlier on in the season. I think yeah. uh, play calling is game managing. I think Justin Herbert throws the rock too much. Um, yeah. But that being said, that's a great team. Built great. I can see them going all in. Um, I, I don't know if it's this year, but uh, that's a team to watch moving forward. Yep, I agree. And, and then just some names to throw out. Uh, the Eagles with the three first-round picks. Uh, I don't know if that's their move, but they have s- some solid infrastructure. Don't know if they're ready, though. They still have holes to, to, to fill in. They have an aging O-line. Not too great of linebackers. I don't know what, what their thoughts are on Hurts. And then an interesting one I just got to mention, the Colts, really interesting situation. Uh, yeah. They have until, what, March 19th to decide on once. And then I just want to throw three more out at you, and, I, and then I'm going to get your guys' thoughts. Uh, the Bengals, they have $44 million in cap, can make it around 70 with some simple restructures. Uh, obviously, there's belief in Burrow. And now they can really start to kind of build this team with confidence. Uh, and then another one I thought of uh, was the Chiefs. Uh, another aggressive offseason, maybe they, they've shown that they're, they've shown that they're willing to, to, to pump the cash in. And you know, Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey are not getting any younger. So, uh, and then the last one I had was 
which is interesting. And I know no, nobody wants to hear it, but uh, funny enough, the Rams can actually make like 40 million in cap space, which is a little gross. Uh, They're also yeah, they losing have, a lot of guys in free agency though, right? Yeah, they are losing guys, you know, Von Miller particularly. Um, but I just want to get your guys' thoughts. I just threw out a bunch of names at you, but. Uh, for me, I actually did have the Chiefs on my list too. And just to kind of uh, go into that, I just thought that um, their defense has always been a, the question of concern. Obviously, this past year, their offense was a little sketchy yeah. at times, um, but that might be a whole issue entirely with the enemy and uh, Mahomes having issues, I guess. But um, so I think they could trade in for better defensive players, primarily at the DB spot, maybe the defensive line. Um but then also they probably would want to look into like having a solidified number two receiver behind Hill, even though Travis Kelsey kind of is that number two receiver, but just also to take some pressure off of those guys. That Those are kind of just my thoughts with the Chiefs. No, right? I fully agree. I, and I mean, it always seems like they have a rotation cast of those like Olympic sprinter, McCall Hardman mm-hmm. kind of role that just fl- simply run down the field. But Sam, any, any thoughts on those teams before we move on? Yeah, I mean, uh, I agree with the Chiefs. I think if I'm the Chargers or the or the, or the Bengals, like, wh- why? That team's built good. They have pieces there. Why do you start trading assets when you have a horizon that's far longer than every other team that we talked about? The yep. Cardinals are probably the exception there, but our cap situation is not that great to the point where you can just let it roll. If I'm the Bengals, the Chargers, why dispose of assets when I can hang tight, go through our traditional splashes in the offseason? I mean, and build and pick yeah. that team's not, team's not going anywhere for a while. Yeah, it should. It shouldn't at least. You're, I mean, should, you're totally right. Uh, totally right. All right. Well, let's move into letdown teams. Um, I know that's Sam, you, you, you brought that to the table. Uh, NFL letdown teams, you, you described, you know, teams maybe getting a lot of hype won't live up to it in, in the coming season. Uh, I'll, I'll give you guys the floor, but I will say my, my thesis tends to be a fade the Super Bowl teams. Yeah, on that note, my number one is the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, they're getting that Super Bowl slump. That's, that's, it's so crazy to be talking about. They're a good-built team. I don't think they're the, a great team. Their O-line's terrible. Um, they have good pieces. Their secondary is really great, actually. Obviously, their receiving core is amazing. You got Joe Mixon in the backfield. Um, Joe Burrow's going to be that quarterback for at least a dozen years. But yeah. – um, I think that team got hot at the right time, and I don't see them. I think they're going to miss the playoffs. Oh, so, wow. Oh, wow. We'll see about that. Um, I also got the 49ers. Yeah, so I got I got the Cincinnati Bengals missing the playoffs next year. I got That's, the 49ers. I think they're going to miss I love how you restated that. <laughs> Give it a couple of seconds and then just say it again. No, I said it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the 49ers, I think same thing. Uh, Trey Lance, I just don't see him panning out. I think Jimmy G was the guy who had a, had a hold on that offense and was a great game manager. And then last one, I'll let you guys take. I think it's going to be the Green Bay Packers. I think oh, Rodgers wow. is going to be back. And I think they're going to be bad. Wow. Wow. Um, Sam, 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 any thoughts? I'm going I'm uh, to give you some room to, to speak on that. Yeah, so uh, just to kind of run through mine, I also had Bengals. Uh, just quickly, I think there's a strong argument that could be made that they shouldn't have even made it that far in the first place. Like Sam mentioned, they got really hot at the right time. And there's – a very high chance that they regress next season. Um, little Atlanta Hawks thing. Yeah, yeah, I could see that for sure. And then Packers, like, as a Bears fan, it just makes me so happy to hear. Uh, <laughs> just glowing. 
Yeah, it, I mean, they do have the potential to lose both Rodgers and Adams. Obviously, nothing is solid yet. Um, the, both of those guys could very easily be back. But also, a ton of their coaches have left. Hackett went to the Broncos. The Bears poached Getsy to come be our offensive coordinator. So you have to kind of rebuild there as well. So um, coaching, and that's like a huge part of it too, uh, having the coaches in, in line that Rodgers wants there and Adams will want there to make them stay. Um, and this one's kind of weird. I I don't know how you guys would view this, but I also said the Titans. That was that was where I was, I was about that to one jump down. all over there. I was about to jump all over that if you guys didn't say anything. Yeah, so I just, I mean, me personally, I'll let you kind of, take the brunt of it but uh i just think Tannehill isn't obviously the long-term answer he's a very good game manager but he's not going to make the big plays to get it done down the stretch especially in the playoffs um and then also i know he was coming off injury but derrick henry is inevitably going to lose a step at some point um and he did then, not look like the same player in that playoff game that it, was that was exactly. tough to watch yeah that's exactly yeah. what i was going to say the game against the Bengals after coming back it was just he looked yeah. slow he wasn't making his cuts quick it was just it was kind of sad that was specifically tough to watch yeah i was i was actually about to get all over that one and the defense has has kind of come in and out of these past couple of seasons they're either i feel like awful or they're they're cooking up and they're all over sports center for a couple of weeks in a row but I actually also want to call to the fact that uh, I believe next year Julio Jones is the second highest paid receiver in the NFL um, per his contract. Mm -hmm. So I just think, um, and and not that Julio is is ineffective entirely. It's more so, you know, the body's giving out. It seems like he's older and uh, you know, it's, it's, it's clearly he, he did not uh, deliver the value for that sort of contract this past year. So that's where I would be worried personally. And also they have, uh, the Jaguars who are inevitably going to get better with Doug Peterson, in my opinion, and then the Colts who are going to be angry right on their tail. So that's where I'm looking. Also the Titans, I think Taylor Luan's making like 13 million next year. The guy didn't look good all year. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Most definitely. And so we actually, we have two more topics that we want to get through and we have to a little, we're going to go a little speed run here, but let's start off. Let's, let's switch gears to the NBA a little bit and let's talk about, NBA playoffs, you know, who we like, what we're thinking for the finals and just ultimate thoughts, you know, post trade deadline. We don't, we, we don't have to get too, too into the specifics of the, of the trades more. So just the, uh, the landscape. Yeah. I'll uh, kick things off here quickly. I think the East is more interesting is, is the most interesting it's been in a very long time. Um, there's a lot of great teams. Um, I think there's also some great teams that are towards the bottom of that, of that like playing list that I think are going to, are going to make a run in the playoffs. I mean, after the trade deadline, we all know that the big um, Harden for Ben Simmons trade. I think the Brooklyn Nets got better. Not only not when not when swapping Harden for Ben Simmons, but when you got Seth Curry as another shooter on that team, it's already loaded with shooters. Their yeah. big guy with Andre Drummond, who I don't know how effective he could be, but I think Ben Simmons coming down the floor with the option to pass it to KD, Kyrie, Seth Curry. Also got Joe Harris come back from injury. Bruce Brown's a great role player. Patty Mills has been hot. Um, that's my pick out of the East In the West. I think you got some teams that are playing really well. I mean, obviously everyone's loving John Morant, what he's been doing in Memphis. I think it comes down to Suns warriors. I think the, I mean, the Suns have lost what two games since the new year. Yeah, um, ridiculous. It's the Hawks, right? Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. I, I, I don't, I don't see anyone beating them out of the West. People like that warriors pick. I don't know if, uh, I don't know if they can keep up with the Suns. 
I, I was thinking the same thing. I don't know about you, Sam. I, I, it looks like the Suns might be on a different level in the West, uh, but I think that the Grizzlies, my, my personal thoughts on the West is that the Grizzlies are going to give a very talented team all they can handle. And it's going to be really fun to watch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, me personally, um, basically everyone said what I was going to say. Can't wait to see a healthy jaw in the playoffs. And then also uh, to SG's point, uh, Suns have been on absolute tear recently, won 18 of their last 19. Um, and then to the point about the Nets, like I also think that they got very much better after the Harden trade uh, because Seth Curry, like huge addition when Joe Harris is out because Joe Harris may be out for the entire season. So having mm-hmm. him fill that role, very important. And then also Drummond, um, you got rid of, uh, oh, I'm drawing a blank now, who center for the Cavs. You bring in another room protector. That's going to be super big for that team. Um, but I guess that is the deepest roster, but I guess the biggest question is going to be on Kyrie and his availability during those yep. games. So. Yep. I, I love the East. I can't wait to watch the East playoffs. I just want you both to answer this. Uh, Heat, Bulls, Sixers, Bucks, Nets. One of those teams has to lose in the first round. Who's it going to be? I've, Heat, Bulls, Sixers, Bucks, Nets. Five I'd teams. Say, I'd say Bulls. Bulls? Yeah. The number one seed. I, I know, but I just think that even though DeRozan's playing on like an MVP level and he has like an insanely high percentage shooting from mid-range right now, I just mm-hmm. think that the other teams are so much better composed. Like Miami with Kyle Lowry coming in has been playing insane. Um, Philly, obviously, they just got James Harden, so that'll, I guess, we'll see how the chemistry works there. Uh, Milwaukee's kind of making their push. Um, I just think like the Bulls, not that they're so inexperienced because they're not, but I think they're more so inexperienced than the other teams. Yep. So I think that'll kind of play into that feed into that loss. Sam, thoughts? I think it's going to be Heat. Um, I think the Heat are going to have another first round exit. Um, I think when I look at the bottom, when I look at the East, it's so stacked. Um, I mean, side note, I can't wait to see these Cavs play in the playoffs. I think mm-hmm. it's, it's, oh, I can't wait. I can't there's, there's gonna be some mixing up, right? So I mean, we could see the Cavs team, we could see a Celtics team in the eight seed. We could, hell, we could see the Nets as an eight seed. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know out of all those five teams you listed, I think the Heat are the odd team out. Okay, so I actually this this one's interesting for me. Um, I think I can see the Bulls losing personally just because of, uh, you know, some younger players they're going to rely on. Uh, and, you know, this DeRozan, DeRozan's playing out of his mind. Let's see if this holds. But I think that the highest risk team, I think it's the 76ers. I think that if they get up, if they get up against the wrong matchup and, uh, and th- there's some dysfunction and it's not too, uh, it's not too easy between Harden and Embiid, it could be interesting. Harden's not the kind of guy to uh, to show up in big playoff games historically. So, I think if if you find yourself if, if the 76ers find themselves playing the uh, the Cavs or the Hornets and, and they're in a game seven in, in round one, I don't know if I uh, if I'm loving that position for them. But so I've been that, I've been thinking of one team. What do you guys think of the Clippers? PG and Kawhi could come back. Norm Powell the- has that foot fracture, so we don't know when he's going to come back. But that team looks. So damn good without PG and Kawhi. They can make some noise if they both come back for the playoffs, I think. 
I think they're interesting. I think they're interesting, but it's it's predicated on a big what if. Mm, of course. But uh, I, uh, we we had one more question, but we're actually we're going a, a bit over our time here, so I think we're going to wrap it up here. But I wanted to say thank you, SG, and we will hopefully get you on the pod here very soon again. <laughs> Absolutely, more than happy to. Thanks a lot, guys. It was fun. Yeah. All right, so we are back with another guest. It is Cole, who's back with us, who was on our podcast, uh, what, December? Twice now. Yeah, so yep. he's, he's a repeat uh, he's a veteran. podcaster. Yeah. Right, so baby. the first thing that we kind of want to talk about with you was the Golden Knights and then All-Star, the All-Star Weekend, because me and you went to that together. So uh, you and I were able to see the skills portion of the weekend, which includes like fastest skater, hardest shot, save streak accuracy shooting and i think shooting stars so like kind of like what were your opinions about you think yeah i mean you aspect? just seemed to, to rattle off every single event well i just i don't know <laughs> if i missed one or if the names <laughs> are correct so i'm just i'm just being uh, okay yeah, okay yeah. i think it's uh <laughs> <laughs> just making sure <laughs> no i thought that was really fun it was it was a little slow because the tv breaks <laughs> yeah but um I thought it was really, really cool just to see, like, because obviously we usually, like, it's kind of mundane going to the Knights games. Like, it's kind of the same thing over and over. You get used to it. But it's kind of mm-hmm. cool to get, like, a little different vibe in there. Um, who was yeah, the most talented player? Who was the most, like, just in the whole I test. I test who was the most talented player you saw? Oh, McDavid. I didn't even, mm-hmm. I didn't have to see. All he did was skate. I wish they would let him shoot and, like, I'm, I'm going to need a first name more. to identify that guy. Oh, Connor McDavid. Sorry. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> um, Just making sure. I, I kind of thought the same thing though. I thought obviously the the commercial breaks were like you know they kind of like draw on and you got kind of bored sitting there waiting and especially some of the events were pre recorded so that was kind of weird. So you're just like watching the screen um, even in the stadium, but it was super cool to kind of be there and see like all those good players in the same spot. Like especially like someone like me who doesn't know much about hockey, not as much as you, at least. Um, it was super cool to see that. And then it was also like very Vegas biased with like Petrangelo winning the event that he oh, shouldn't have. Sure. And so that was, that was kind of funny, but um, so I guess that kind of leads us to talk about Vegas and our hockey team, the golden Knights. So where do you think from the all-star break Vegas can improve? Oh, pretty much everywhere. I think obviously, I don't know. Um, how close you've been following it, Sam, but Stoney's out. Um, and we just got Eichel back last game. Did you watch that game? I didn't. I was actually going to ask you about him too and how you think his presence might affect team chemistry or, yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I don't know. There's, there's so much we could dive into, but I just think we're kind of, this year. I think we're not going to, I think we're kind of pretenders this year, if I'm being real. Really? I, yeah. Tape. <laughs> <laughs> I never it, thought I'd hear that from you. I, I just think because of the way, like, with Stone being out and he already isn't, like, the best performer in the playoffs, and then you're trying to work a guy in that hasn't played hockey in who knows long, I think it just yeah, – I don't know. And our goalie's out now. Leonard's out. Wait, cool. So yeah, let's, take a, let's take a step back and let's kind of yeah. assume that our listener has, like, the most base level uh, okay, yeah. hockey knowledge. So Stone being a key defender, correct? Or, or am I wrong? Uh, he's, a, he's a forward. Oh, okay. So I'm totally wrong. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> so he's a, he's a key forward. And then, so even to take a further step back with the the hockey playoffs, so it's two conferences and then two divisions within each conference. And then the top three from each division goes to the playoffs. 
and then the two top wild cards that are remaining from each conference go, right? That's right. Okay. So essentially for Vegas to secure from each division, each division. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So for, for Vegas yeah. to secure a playoff spot, they just need to be top three in their respective division. Correct. Yep. Exactly. And, and so, and is there any difference w- when you get into the, to the playoffs, is it all best of seven? Like the NBA, just out of curiosity. I don't even know. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Pick so, right back up to where you were. I just wanted to get everybody caught up on, on base level <laughs> hockey. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, kind of to go off what you said, Jack, So basically in the NHL, there's four um, divisions. And the Knights are in by far the easiest division, the Pacific. And I don't know why, but like legit ever since they've got in, it's the Pacific has just gotten worse and it's like, it's a it's terrible division. And so really? it kind of like makes the Knights look good. Like the Knights are a really good hockey team, but it makes them look even better just because our, our uh, division is so poor. Mm. And wow. So yeah, that's, that's, it's, it's so frustrating because like a lot of the, the management, they focus way too much on like, like just day to day, like regular season games, rather than like I feel like they don't try to build for the playoffs. They just say like, "Hey, we're gonna go get the best players we can," and just like it doesn't matter like who we who was good for us before. Like they suck now if they're having like a bad stretch in the regular season. Kind of what happened with Flurry, honestly. Um, mm-hmm. And they just try to get like the quick fix to like because mm-hmm. they're like, "Oh no, we're losing games. We must not be a good hockey team." Whereas like, I I, I think they're a little little hot headed in that sense. They they don't really see they're not they're not level-headed i should say i feel like that also has the potential to be a little heightened even even more so this season just because like you mentioned there's been so many injuries on our roster that guys haven't had the chance to play and kind of prove themselves in those situations um which is super unfortunate for the team obviously but i I would be interested to see how like the management is going to react to kind of all those injuries yeah definitely it seems kind of interesting because uh you know it goes without saying, you definitely don't see expansion teams have that level of success immediately as the Knights do. Um, but it begs the question if the franchise is just a little spoiled and, and and truly like, I mean, when you when you walk into the NHL and go to the Stanley Cup Finals and then every year you go to the playoffs since then, uh, very non-traditional approach. There, mm. There's certainly going to have to be a time where the, the Knights are a bottom of the barrel NHL team and yeah. I don't know. Like, obviously, I'm not a consistent NHL follower, but uh, I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. If if the franchise might just be like clinging to that idea that they've never really been a losing team, so they have to continue to be a winning team. Right. So there's actually a few thoughts I have in this, which is first, I'll kind of respond to like what you were kind of getting at is like, are we going to be bad soon? I think the answer to that is no. Um, But I do think that the management has made it much more much more like pressurized i guess you could say like they're really trying to win now and they're doing they're just there's no loyalty involved like Mm -hmm. if you're bad for a couple games you're gone like and i feel like at the start the one of the reasons that we were like just such a cool team and so fun and like everybody's rooting for us is because there's all these guys and it was like a movement like especially after after october 1st like all these guys like gelled together and just like, it was a whole movement of the whole city. Whereas now I feel like after that first and second year, the management has kind of just been like, well, like obviously this is our window. And like, I I don't fault them for that thinking that this is our window and it definitely is, but they're, they're, they're pushing it way too much. Like I think we have like what, four guys left from the original team or something like that. And Mm. they've, they've pushed out a lot of good players and made a lot of bad deals because they are, 
they're pressing too much and they just want to get like that big fish and that big like savior kind of for the team that they think is yeah. going to, you know, just be that like, Oh, we were so good. And then we're adding this guy and now we're going to be like amazing, like definitely going to win the cup, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, that's I, interesting. Uh, I find that interesting too, because I like to your point too, especially after the shooting that happened on October 1st, I think, the team, like they kind of like had that misfit narrative about them. Like they came from a whole bunch of different places, made up this team. They and they really bonded and had that chemistry, and that kind of kind of coincides with what we're seeing or we saw with the Rams. And we'll get to football and we'll get to the Rams eventually. But it's kind of weird how their the Knights' approach, which is very similar to the Rams, hasn't really panned out as the Rams did this past season. Um, yeah, but big difference between football and hockey, right there. That, yeah, that is that is very, very true. Um, but while we're on the topic of football, why don't we swap to football, kind of move on there. So you yourself are training to try to walk on to the BYU football team in Utah. Um, you had told me, you'd mentioned something to me, uh, I think about a week ago, that you had the opportunity just by chance to train with Marcus Mariota. Uh, oh, wow. so that was pretty cool. So I, I kind of want you to share your experiences about that before we kind of move into some other football topics. He's bad, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, terrible. <laughs> um, no, he's actually like one of the, for how good at football he is, like you would kind of assume that they're not like super friendly or just like kind of standoffish. Don't really want to like genuine. Yeah. Yeah. But like, he's legit the most genuine dude I've ever met. It just kind of happened where, um, one of our buddies from high school ish, he, mm-hmm. um, I don't know what his connection is to this one guy that Mariota works out with, but he's basically just this QB coach and, um, he's like a really cool dude. And anyways, I don't know. It, it was a lot of like, there was a bunch of, bunch of QBs that are training with them, but they just needed guys to catch balls. And so I was like, all right, I'll go just, you know, trying to get some, some extra work. And then, uh, Marcus was there. And yeah, dude, it is insane. Just the way that the ball comes off of his hand, just it's just like it's so effortless, but it's also a rocket. Like if you blink your eye, it's gonna go past you. It's like I was you, actually you better about to ask what, what was the what was the difference in between the reps of of catching a ball off of just like a run in the mitten, run in the mitten, like you know, college quarterback, and then you know, a guy who has started NFL playoff games. <laughs> yeah, no, it was. It's hard to describe unless you actually are like they're trying to catch the ball but um yeah it is like it's it's so hard to explain so basically the nfl ball obviously is a little bit different from college but when that thing's coming at you and it's like a this thing is like a perfect spiral it's just like you can't even tell it's rotating it's just like flat you know Mm -hmm. and um it's like you're running around and you get out of your break and all of a sudden like if the ball's not already out of his hand it's about to leave his hand and it's just like it's just a flat rope right to you and like just because of how non like rotational it is because he's just like, it's such an effortless spiral. It's there like much quicker than you, like your mind would think it is, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, you just kind of have to be ready and like expect it to be there soon. But yeah, I didn't, did you, I didn't, did you drop, I didn't any drop any balls. No, no, okay. no. Okay. Come on now. Come on now. Uh, no. You laid out for any? I did not. It, it, they were there. I didn't, I didn't have to. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's actually really, really cool. That, what, did it hurt at all? Yeah, that, that. Um, not necessarily. Like if you like a stick like, on the hands, like a really hard high five. Yeah, I think honestly, not really. Just because, like, obviously he's throwing it hard, but if you kind of catch it the right way, like it's kind of more like a like a solid like snap rather than mm-hmm. 
kind of like a like a collision. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he he definitely threw hard. That there's there's no way around that. He it was a cannon. Wait, how, Especially when you're running like a freaking five yard route, and it's just he's so wait, close to you, and he just it just destroys you. <laughs> wait, one more fanboy question. Uh, yeah, how far was he airing it out? Oh, uh, the field that we were on, honestly, it's kind of like a training field, so it wasn't like a full field. Don't make um, excuses for a small arm. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, we we they threw some like. I think probably the farthest they threw was like 40, 45. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, there was no, like, we weren't running like go routes and just seeing how long he could air it out. I'm sure he could throw the freaking mile, but yeah. Yeah. No, I, I just really wanted you to share that opportunity. Cause like, I would have been so like shocked to even be able to run routes with like an NFL quarterback. That would have been so crazy. And then like, based off of what you just told us, it's very interesting that like, obviously he's so good. And like you got to see it in person, and it's inc- like so crazy how much training he does, and like how impressive he is. And then he's still like a backup quarterback, right? Like it's yeah, why same. that like everyone in the NFL you have to imagine is so good. Oh yeah, right. he's and probably the more one of the best backup quarterbacks in the NFL. That is true. I'll give him that. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, Heisman winner. Mm-hmm. He, um, he's certainly I, he's certainly starting caliber on on, on some rosters, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say one last point. I think is the more that like I've studied football and played with different guys that like I like that are good, you know, um, the more that I realize that like just any dude on their couch doesn't realize all of the like different things that are going on when they say like, oh, I could have done that. Like why'd they drop that? Or like, how could you not like, you know what I'm saying? Um, there's so, you're so telling, many. You're telling me the sport that, is hard. Uh, I, I, I would say that. I would say that. <laughs> That's awesome. But Wait, last yeah, it was, it was a cool experience for sure. How um, did, how did oh, Marcus Mariota's arm compare to that of your high school quarterbacks? <laughs> well, it, it was slightly better. We'll just we'll go with that. That's an unfair um, question, Jack. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, sorry to my boys out there, but yeah. Um, it was, it was, uh, it was definitely a leg up. We'll say that. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> you got targeted said, more in that walk around than the whole season. I think I was actually thinking about that. I think I caught, I caught seven balls my entire senior year. I got thrown to seven times, and I think I caught nine from him or something like that. And I was like, wow, that, I've caught more balls from an NFL QB than I have in my high school career. That's pretty cool. That's that amazing. Is electric. Um. So just to kind of going off that, talk about another quarterback, Caleb Williams, transfers to USC. What are your thoughts on that? Are you sad to see Dart depart from the school? Are you happy that Williams is there? What like what are you thinking about that situation? I'm I'm both happy and sad. I I kind of wish that um, Dart would have stayed because I think I just like I think he's a beast. Um, and like he chose SC when they were bad, you know, which we still could definitely be bad, but at least we have like a, a program now. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I would have liked to see that through, but at the same time, I'm sure he saw the writing on the wall that like, like Caleb Williams isn't going to transfer to be your backup, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I, I don't, I definitely don't blame him at all. It would have been really cool. I, I think one of his last schools, I think he was between Ole Miss and BYU and he ended up choosing Ole Miss obviously, but I was pretty pumped. I, I was wanting to, to play with him. That would have been really cool, but uh, no, yeah, I'm happy for him. I'm happy for, for SC. Obviously that's, that's a huge deal to get, you know, top, 
five player in the nation transferring in. You know, yeah, I actually true. didn't realize Jackson Dart, 18 years old. That's pretty ridiculous. Dude, he's young. Uh, born in 2003. <laughs> dude, that's insane, dude. I'd, that's say so he's got a, I'd say he's got some time ahead of him to, to figure this whole thing out. Especially, oh, yeah, at, especially at Old Miss with Lane Kiffin. I think he's going to be all right. I think he's going to be just all right. You yeah, know, I actually fine. had some uh, insider information that he was going to Ole Miss early from <laughs> a father of one of our friends. He knew that somehow knew that Jackson Dart got a, a lease on an apartment down there like two weeks before the announcement was made. I had ran into him at a uh, a Knights game. And he laid it all out there for me. So I told Cole immediately, but it's hard to I, believe those things. It's such hearsay. It, it's so true. Like, for example, I um, when SC was still doing their coaching search, I had um, a family friend of ours and my dad's a dentist for all you guys out there. And um, he went and saw him and, Anyways, they they got to talking about it because this guy's also an SC alum, and um, my dad calls me and he's like, "Yeah, I talked to so and so today, and you know, he's talked to a bunch of people, and they all say that you know, Luke Fickles bought a house in LA and all this stuff." And so, yeah, I I feel like like you said, it's definitely a hit or miss. Just kind of wherever the wind's blowing is what you're gonna hear. But mm. yeah, that was that was pretty funny insight that you had, Sam. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then just really quickly. Uh, are you happy with the current state of USC? What are your thoughts for next season? How's it look? I mean, it's hard not to be happy when you, you go thrilled. from Clay Helton. Yeah, when you go from Clay Helton to like what top four coach in college football mm-hmm. right now, four or five mm-hmm. coach. Um, so obviously top, top four thrilling. in the Pac-12, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who? Who? Uh, 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 Hermet. Oh, oh, yeah, no. Yeah. Well, we, we might have to get into some AAC. Let's not even that. get into that. Let's, <laughs> Let's get into it. No, no, no. But I, I on the uh, the noted USC, actually, the the transfer market has been hot. Um, yeah. Caleb Williams, they've pulled uh, like a handful of defensive, like starting caliber players from, uh, you know, like Auburn, Alabama, seeing a four-star Oklahoma corner, uh, four-star Oklahoma receiver. Yep. Uh, the class is shaping up and, and even looking ahead at next year, uh, only, only three commits, but the 12th ranked class in the, in the country right now, led by Malachi Nelson and then a five-star receiver at a Gorman. Pretty interesting. But uh, I, uh, I guess long winded, I kind of want to reevaluate where we were because I think the last time you were on the pod was quite literally right after this had all broke, but mm-hmm. it seems like the track to success for USC could be quite, a lot shorter than uh, than I guess it really seemed at first, especially with uh, the mighty ASU falling from from a top. But <laughs> I, I kind of just want to hear your, uh, your your thoughts on it, and um, and then we'll we'll reevaluate our 2022 uh, schedule prediction. <laughs> yeah, um, gosh, it's it's just insane, honestly. The the talent that we've brought in, um, obviously. I think, you know, we'll be a little bit better off um, because of it. And it's cool because a lot of the guys that we picked were from other Pac-12 schools. I think we got um, like Oregon's running back. I remember you guys remember Travis Dye. Um, he he transferred in. He's probably one of their, definitely one of the best players. Um, and then we also got, I think is it a DB from Colorado that was a beast. Um, so it's, yeah. So I don't know. I think, Next year, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic just because of I know um, from from years past what 
to expect with SC football, but obviously we've never had a, a coach as good as this since I was like a little kid. Um, so it definitely, it's definitely exciting. It's, it's, it's easier to turn around a school like SC rather than, you know, some like Colorado, for example, like, because guys want to come to SC and they, there's, a, you know, so many guys from LA that are ready to come back as long as you, you know, just have that like promise of good program. And that's what we have now. And they pay a lot more, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Jimbo Fisher. Yeah. <laughs> uh, actually though, I'm, I'm being totally serious. It, it's hard to look at the, the 2020, 20, the 2022 USC football schedule and, and not think something in line of, of nine or 10 wins. It's, it's actually rather easy. Uh, we'll run through it again one more time. Let's do it. Uh, first week or wait, are, are these dates set or was that, was that when we were looking far in advance and the dates weren't set? Cause I remember. Yeah. Last... I think the dates are set now. Okay. So week one rice at home, that, that's, yeah, that's, a, mean, that's a, that's a, that's gotta be. Yeah. Uh, at Stanford and then home versus Fresno state. Uh, I, I don't really know what the lookout on Stanford is, but, uh, They're great. yeah, that's, that's... Uh, I don't know if you guys ever listened to it. It's uh, what is it called? Podcast of champions. I listen to them sometimes. It's just basically like a Pac-12 football podcast. Mm-hmm. And there's a guy on there. He actually covers USC, but he always just says that Stanford's butt. And I would concur. <laughs> concur. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's hopefully a dub there. First interesting game though, at Oregon state. A yeah. F- a no, feisty squad. That's definitely, that's definitely one of our tougher games. I think honestly in the regular season until, um, Besides Utah, I guess that's I think that'd be our toughest game um, outside of Utah and Notre Dame, just because first of all, it's on the road. And I think um, just two contrasting styles, at least last year, uh, maybe I'm sure this year under uh, under Lincoln Riley will run the ball more, but Oregon State's just a really like smash mouth football team pro style. Um, and yeah, they're, they're they have a really good coach. So that yeah, that'd be definitely an interesting game. I could see us losing that one for sure. When you look at the the schedule, what do you what's your early thoughts though on a on a record prediction? Oh, gosh, and, overall and losses, if you're counting them. Yeah, I would say. Let's see. I say we lose to Oregon State. I say Utah's on the road. That's a tough game. I can see that's a toss up. And then I say probably lose to Notre Dame. Even I'd say Notre Dame's close game, but we lose to them. I think we beat okay. UCLA. Well, nine and three. Um, yeah, I can see nine and three. Not bad. That's yeah, not a bad sure. start. Yeah, especially because, I mean, Lincoln has no recruiting class. It's all guys who's transferred in. I think there's 35 guys that have either, like 30 guys, 35 guys that were on the roster last year that are not now. That's um, crazy. Yeah, so we've had a lot of turnover, which I think is probably a good thing, kind of get that, like, new mentality and new um, new faces in the program, kind of revitalize it. So, yeah, that would be sure. exciting for sure. Definitely. It's looking Very up. Nice. It is looking yep. up for USD. Um, I mean, and then that brings we, us. Oh, go ahead. So we're going I, was, I just wanted to say, can we just touch on Arizona State for one second? Man. Let's let's do it. I one, mean, one, one second. Uh, <laughs> obviously, what's going on is not optimal. We have like people decommitting like every day. Uh, uh, I mean, coaches getting fired and, you know, it's just not a great situation because of like the whole like recruiting type allegations that were going on. That's kind of the stem of all these issues. Um, but then the video that came out yesterday about Jaden Daniels, who, by the way, I just had to say kind of screwed our chances. If we had any chance 
of getting Mr. Spencer Rattler by saying he was going to come back. So, and then he decides to leave the team. But the video that came out after that was uh, reported and the team found out when they're cleaning out his locker was pretty hilarious. That was, that was not a good look. Yeah, no. that was a tough one. That was a tough one. But, yeah, I mean. I just, have, I just wonder why he transferred out now, like right before spring ball, as opposed to after the season. Like, I feel like if you're on the team, you can probably see the writing on the wall of what's going to, like, what's happening. I don't yeah. know if that would, that's the reason that he left, but it's just that's kind of an interesting timing to me. The, the timing was very bizarre. Yeah. I, I, I would assume it was kind of like, because I think a lot of, since the end of the season, a lot of more coaches have been fired and let go and that kind of thing. So maybe it's been like kind of a snowball effect for him. He's been kind of, you know, seeing the outcome, like you said, the writing on the wall more so now than he did at the end of the season. But you have to imagine that he kind of knows the inner workings of what's going on there. So I don't right. know. it doesn't make much sense to me either. But at the end of the day, we're going to be trash next year. Let's just get that out there on air. Um, I don't think Jaden Daniels would have helped us in any way, shape, or form uh, in our season next year. So I honestly don't mind that he's gone. Yeah, I don't, I don't think the team was built to win. <laughs> no. we, does BYU play you guys at all? Oh, we don't. Shoot. I don't believe so. But that would have been fun. Anyways, let's move on to a more later <laughs> topic. For you, um, especially, the Rams are a Super Bowl champs. You are a Rams fan, everything LA fan. Rams fan. Yeah. Uh, won 23 20 over the Bengals. Cup got the MVP. Stafford gets his elusive first title. What are your thoughts on the game? Honestly, I have heard a lot of like hate just about like that was a boring Super Bowl. I guess like from a lot of my friends, um, especially like people that were watching it with me, like I don't know how you were so, because I was like on edge the whole time. Obviously, like you guys know how it is, um, but I thought it was an amazing game. I thought there's a lot of. I mean, you things. won. Well, yeah, but I'm just <laughs> saying the the quality of the game. Like everybody even if it was a bad Super Bowl, we won. It was amazing. No, no, no. I'm just saying <laughs> I'm the playing, quality I'm of playing. the game. Even if we would have lost, like that was I'm like, just such a good game. I know you're just you're just mad because you're a Cardinals fan. Yeah, I am. Okay. I'm very mad. I'm, I'm very mad. Put it out there. I've been mad my whole life. <laughs> I love. I, I love the, the the rose and jersey on the wall. Yeah, in the in the back. It, it, That's it great. humbles me. It's it puts me back down. You know what I mean. Whenever I get a little too excited, it, it just puts me right back down. You know, it puts your guys' success in this perspective because you could have Jack Rosen. Uh, That's true. We could. We'd be very successful with with Mr. Rosen. <laughs> Trust me. Yeah, you buy we, a lot of hot tubs for his dorm room, that's for sure. We were doing mighty fine. <laughs> but, uh, no, yeah, to answer your question, I thought it was an awesome game. Just, like, I kind of, like you said earlier, what we were talking about with the Knights, like, this was the year that, like, we had to do it, um, and we did. Mm. And so, like, honestly, after, like, going forward, I don't think that we'll be, like, that elite of a team. We might get back to a Super Bowl, like, in the next few years. We'll see. Um but just because they had so much on this year, mm-hmm. um, I find it hard to believe that we'll be kind of like go up and sustain our success rather than I think we kind of just have peaked this year and might be back down to kind of just a playoff team. Um, but yeah, I can't complain, man. Win the Super Bowl. Definitely. I mean, yeah, that's huge. I mean, I don't, so I don't have much, too much to add. I, I'm just <laughs> going to ask, I have a couple more questions for you and then we'll wrap yeah. this up because we're a little bit no, over yeah. time, but um, so to your point, uh, you kind of see this as the peak. So who would you like to see return and who wouldn't you mind leaving? Uh, well, number one, Ben Skoranek. 
He can go. <laughs> <laughs> Brick hands. Dude, that guy kills me. Um, no, obviously, I mean, the, the number one guy that you want to see come back is Donald. Um, yeah. Really? Obviously. <laughs> obviously, he's he's tattered up, like, as, like, he's going to leave and stuff. I, I don't know if you guys saw this, but I didn't have a oh, chance to look at what he said. Um, but he said, I think he's bring back Odell. And was it Von Miller, too? Um, he said, bring back those two guys and he'll come back for sure. I don't know how, like, true that is or if he was just saying that, but that's something that I saw. Um, Paul so, <laughs> yeah, so we'll see. Obviously, I think whenever Donald leaves is the end of, like, us legitimately having a chance to win another Super Bowl. So if he sticks yeah. around for another year or two, obviously he's at the, still at the top of his game. He's the best player in the league, um, in my opinion. Um, but, yeah, as long as he stays, I think we still have a shot at the Super Bowl. I would agree. I would definitely agree. And then just to kind of go off that last question I have for the both of you, actually, what are the odds that McVay actually leaves the team to go into broadcasting? What I would do you guys think about that. It kind of scared me at first, but honestly, I would say no way. Yeah. I, I don't think he, especially maybe for the next couple of years, you know, like I don't, I can't see him leaving when you have like such a good team and like, I don't know. I, I just couldn't see it happening. Yeah, it wouldn't make sense. But that's just my opinion. I'm sure. I mean, obviously anything can happen, but yeah, that's that's what I see. I don't know. What do you think, Jack? I just don't think it makes any sense. I mean, I think you're like you said, I think the team is still uh, of the quality that you can compete for a Super Bowl next year. And, mm-hmm. and you know, bearing some moves, most likely for a handful more years with Stafford. So like that just doesn't make sense. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it would be legendary for him to have like coached for like four or five years in the NFL, win a Super Bowl and bounce. But yeah. also like that, that's not really that realistic. I, I think in, in any sort of scenario like that, yeah, because right. it's just like, you're, you're walking away from a, a, a playoff level team for sure. Right. So. And I just like, he's such a competitor too. I couldn't see a guy that he knows like all this stuff that we're talking about. Like he has such a good team and obviously a great system and he's such a competitor. I feel like, it would be a, he would have a hard time leaving and knowing yeah. what could have happened if he would have stayed, you know? Um, yeah. So I just, I just can't see it happening. Yeah. I, I don't see it happening either. I would agree. Yeah. Also, can I just bring up one point before we yeah, end? absolutely go for of it? Um, my, my, my boy Stafford has a tendency to get, to get hated on here and there. Let me just say, <laughs> let me just say in the fourth quarter this year, what do you think his TD interception ratio is? Fourth quarter. I actually, I think I might've saw this. I think this was, was this like, was it like 15 touchdowns, one interception or something like that? Or like Very 12 close. touchdowns? 14, 14 touchdowns, zero picks. Yeah, so, yeah, it was something crazy. And then overall in the NFL all time, he's seventh in game-winning drives, which is kind of an interesting stat that I saw. The game-winning drive stat, though, is a little just like, I mean, they were just, the Lions were losing every game, so they were always down. <laughs> <laughs> so like well, any, any win they had, they were, they were coming from behind always. That's also true, but in in the playoffs this year, I think he was like obviously he had some bad plays, but the Super Bowl he played extremely well. Um, and then just like the that Tampa game, I think of I go back to just that last drive. Um, just like that game was on crack. That was ridiculous. That dot to the cup. That game made no sense. Oh my gosh! The the hike over Stafford's head was the most ridiculous moment of that game. Oh my gosh! I know. That's when I started pondering if the NFL is rigged. <laughs> I was like, this doesn't make any sense. 
Yeah, uh, def- definitely be some 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 questionable calls this playoffs, but I mean, there's there's not a playoffs without them. Um, yeah, most most but, definitely. Yeah, so I just wanted to point that out. I think I and I just love the guy that Stafford is. Like, I'd love to be his teammate and play for him. I don't know if you guys saw the. I know we're over time, but I just I don't know if you guys saw the um, when they have him like mic'd up. There's like a 14 minute clip that the NFL or was it the Rams posted, and just like is um, basically just all he's like all the things that he said the whole game. And it's like, just made me think like, wow, this guy's like a super cool dude. Like he's easy to root for, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, glad he's our QB. Definitely. Definitely. Well, yes, sir. I want to thank you for hopping on our pod. That was super fun. And we'll most definitely get you on in the, in the coming months. And hopefully uh, we won't be talking about the Rams anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate it, boys. Always good talking to you. Yeah. Thanks. See you nice. All right, Jack and I are here with our next guest, Carl, who was actually on the podcast, I think in December, uh, right after the Blizzard game that the Bills and the Pats played. So I'm not sure if we mentioned this on our last pod, but Carl, you are a Colts fan. Yes, yes, I'm a Colts fan. (laughs) How are you feeling about the current QB situation with Lens? Let's just start right off the rip. Um, I'm 50-50 with the current situation with the Colts. I see reports that Carson Lens could be traded, I mean cut, on March 16th, and right before March 19th, when his contract becomes guaranteed, if Ballard can't find a trade partner, um, I, I I personally don't think they should go that direction. I think that he should get at least one more year, and we should at least treat him like the first round pick that we gave up for to get him. And you know, this year could be a trial year almost, and see what he does next year with a better team, and maybe we spend some money in free agency to. You know, get our defensive line better, uh, replace Eric Fitzgerald off tackle, um, get some wide receivers, who knows. But the Colts are doing one or two things. They're either cutting once on March 16th and searching for a quarterback in free agency or the draft, or we keep them and just continue improving our team by signing free agents or just drafting well. And it's it's interesting. We have a, we have a relatively young team. Um, we had a starting safety, Julian Blackman, was injured last year, basically the whole year. Terry's Achilles? Yeah, Terry's Achilles. Yeah. He'll be back. He's and a stud. He's, he's super good. And some notable guys that could walk are T.Y. Hilton. That's super sad. <laughs> Eric Fisher, he didn't really do much for us this year. He was our $8.4 million cap hit. Andrew Sandejo, my <laughs> least favorite player. <laughs> he's either getting a really great hit on somebody or getting a concussion. Yep. Just a liability on the field. It's actually uh, sad. Yeah. <laughs> another sad one, Kamoka Ture. Uh, we drafted him in 2018 from Rutgers. I was a huge fan of him when we drafted him, but it didn't, he didn't turn out like everyone said he would, and it happens. He was a bust, but I wish him well on his future pursuits. Uh, the Colts do trade once to a quarterback needy team. I really hope it's for a first or second round pick for this year. Having two second round picks would not feel that bad. I'd, I'd be excited. And if we do release once, we could, I don't know, draft a quarterback or find one in the free agency. And I have some power rankings for who the Colts could get. I had Aaron Rodgers number one, <laughs> Russell Wilson number two. And the hardest decision was between Derek Carr and Jimmy Garoppolo for who would be number three. And I had Derek Carr number three and Jimmy Garoppolo number four. I think those are very respectable rankings. Also, to take a step back, I actually agree in that I think that the most logical move is probably to just keep him and to just run another year back. Uh, I think it's certainly a gamble, but like you said, you're already, I mean, you're a first round pick in, um, 
you know, cutting ties while it may be seen as like, you know, getting if, if it ends up being just an absolute disaster, if, if you go if you roll the dice again, then you, you could say, you know, should have cut the ties after year one. But uh, I, I think that the team is is built well enough to where they can add better skill position players, specifically at wide receiver. And I don't see a reason why they shouldn't be competing to win that division. I mean, that division is pretty porous. To, as of right now, yeah, as of right now, it's definitely yeah. a mediocre division. So I, I would agree, but I, I think that also with respect to a possible trade, I don't know how, I don't know what team's gonna gonna follow up the Colts and, and trade a pick or at least a high pick for yeah. Wentz. You know what I mean? That that's where I, uh, that's where I almost think that the the Colts might be forced to show their hand early and, and show that they're just gonna have to run it back because you know the lack of draft capital and mobility. Yeah, exactly. There's a there's a few teams in the league that really need quarterbacks bad, but they also have first round picks, and they also could just simply draft a young twenty two year old quarterback that could yeah be in their franchise for ten plus years. Mm-hmm. Um, the coach should definitely keep the coach should definitely keep once. I I think we may they could be jumping the gun a little bit and cutting him. Um, we haven't even seen his full potential. He's what I think he's twenty nine years old. He is, he's not even in his prime yet. Yep. Quarterbacks today are hitting their prime at thirty three, thirty four. That's their best years. So if we're just gonna if we're gonna cut him, like I understand, but if we keep him, I understand as well. I think there, there's not really a wrong or right answer in this one, and Ballard will figure it out. He normally does. Yeah. I mean, for me personally, I think I would have to cut him just because obviously the Colts are in the AFC. It, and that conference is getting stronger every single year, especially with the that's multitude. Per- huh? Keep going. I was no. going to say that's a perfect transition. No, yeah, yeah. There's a multiple of good teams that have young, strong QBs. Like, I mean, the Bengals, Chargers, Pats, Bills, Chiefs, and Ravens, just like the first six you can rattle off. So, like, how do you think the Colts can compete in that AFC with, I mean, keeping once? Uh, that's, a, that's a really good question. They're, the AFC is stacked right now. You know, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes – there's there's too many great QBs. They're all top ten. Um, as as if what the Colts can do to maybe stay up in the rankings and maybe compete. Well, if you're telling me that all those teams have really good quarterbacks, what can they do differently to maybe balance it all out? Get a great defense. You know, the past four years the Colts have finished top ten in run defense and and takeaways. They can continue building on that and become top ten in every single defensive category, and they could. Let, let me that inter- was with Iberflus, though. Iberflus is obviously a phenomenal coach, but I'll interject. If you're me, if, I'll interject and say they also could make it a lot easier on Carson Wentz. Yeah, you know what a I mean. A lot more breathing room. You know, if your defense is giving up 10, 13 points a game, you're asking Carson Wentz to score seventeen. Yeah, I, I think even on the 14. even on the offensive side of the ball, I think that uh, I, which I totally agree with, the defense uh, had its moments, but. Uh, Wide receiver is big, and I think that the the O line. You look at Quentin Nelson, and you're like, "Wow!" I mean, this is a franchise O lineman. Mm-hmm. There's still holes. You know what I mean? I think yeah. that it, it, it can, left tackle. yeah, it can be fixed at left tackle, and so I think that if you're someone like Chris Ballard and you're sitting there, you might convince yourself, "Well, maybe Carson Wentz just had surgery." you know, six weeks before week one, and Quentin Nelson had surgery five weeks before week one. Exactly, and maybe we can just draft a stud wide receiver in the second round and maybe we can pay you know one guy a little bit more than we're willing to pay normally and, and maybe we really give once a, a real situation to succeed yeah exactly a lot of the a lot of the Colts writers and reporters they almost seem to forget that Carson Wentz and Quentin Austin missed most of training camp with injury when mm-hmm. somehow 
on a new team. Yeah, on a new team. Once somehow, what he strained both his ankles or something in the off season. That's no, no. He he broke the foot in his bone off season and sprained the ankles week two or one. Had to get surgery. Yeah, he because him and Quentin Nelson got the same surgery, wasn't it? They broke like a small bone in their foot. But yeah, I mean. First, first year in a new system, and you well, not new system because Reich, but first year on a new team, new you can't team. even build uh, you know real chemistry mm-hmm. yeah, in the offseason. I, I think we uh, we sometimes underestimate like how important training camp is. Like the offseason is very important; it's fifty percent of the season, the full season. Um, I was listening uh, to Sam Hubbard talk in this podcast, and he was saying how when the Bengals were entering training camp, they all said we're all going to attend training camp. No one's going to miss. And you saw how far they go. Mm-hmm. And speaking of the Bengals, and I want to bring it back to your point about the AFC being so strong, Bengals won, what, four, five games last year? Uh, five? Were they, were five they, games? Were they five and 11? I honestly... Some, something around that number. and Four and 12, maybe? Something around there. Yeah, something around that number. And we saw them make the Super Bowl this year. Four, 11, four, 11 and one. Yeah. Wow. We saw them turn around so quickly and make the Super Bowl this year. And I think that was honestly really great for the NFL because it, it gives a lot of fan bases and a lot of teams hope that, okay, maybe you don't have that 11-6 uh, and six record this season. Mm-hmm. Maybe we don't have that, you know, 14-3 and three record. But if we do the right things in the offseason, we can get there easily. Mm-hmm. You know, you can always have that reference point of the Bengals saying, look, they, were, they won four games last year. And they just competed for a Super Bowl. Yeah, everyone, everyone was watching. Yeah. They were seconds away from winning a Super Bowl. Yeah, literally. very close. Yeah, yeah. And to both of you guys' points, I think Jack mentioned it, and also you alluded to it earlier. You can improve your team without necessarily improving the quarterback position. So why don't we talk about the free agent wide receiver market? I love the Colts this. Yeah, potentially tap into. I love this. Yeah, uh, I the free agent wide receiver market I think is particularly interesting. Uh, for one reason, and that is that a lot of the well, two reasons actually. Let me the the one is that Devontae Adams being at the top of the market mm-hmm. will likely reset it, um, or sort of like kind of settle in with DeAndre Hopkins' number. So it'll be interesting because then to follow it, a lot of the high name players are coming off of injury. You have Chris Godwin. Uh, what is it? Torn ACL. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have Michael Gallup who b- blew out his knee. Juju. Juju was you didn't even see really, and and he's kind of lost a lot of value, I guess, in in terms of how he's referred to. No Odell too. Yeah, uh, I mean uh, Mike Williams played a, a hell of a year, but he was a little banged up towards the end, and uh, I mean uh, I'm missing one more. Oh, Allen Robinson is is kind of a peculiar yeah. uh, situation, yeah. and then yeah. the biggest of them all, I think, is uh, OBJ. OBJ was yep. set to hit market, and uh, I actually have Spotrack had him projected to get thirteen million a year. Wow! Uh, but out for a whole year, maybe. So, mm-hmm. what do you guys think about it? Uh, I think the I think the wide receiver market is I think it's changing up by the day at this point. You're seeing a bunch of teams just drafting these young rookie wide receivers, and they make an immediate impact. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's recency bias, but you know, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, that doesn't happen. But recently, it's been happening a lot more, and I, I almost want to say that it, that the talent that's coming in from college entering the NFL could even drive down the wide receiver market. I think that these undrafted these these free agents could be getting paid a little less because teams know that oh maybe we don't have to sign this twenty eight year old receiver. That's we can just draft new. We can just draft one to in this upcoming draft. That's interesting, and, and even to to I guess to support your case a little bit more, I would say you don't even. 
you know, Justin Jefferson and, and Jamar Chase, you're talking about a different level of receiver. That's, that's different gravy. But you can still get a T. Higgins early in the second yeah. round. You know, you yeah. can still get a, uh, I mean, well, in Justin Jefferson's case at the end of the first round. But you can still get quality level players. I mean, Debo Samuel. Yeah. Uh, you know what yeah. I mean? So it, it's, it is. It's, it's getting a little packed. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's there's there's, just, there's literally just so many. It's uh, it's, it seems like quarterbacks and wide receivers are just being developed so well at the college level that you know these are immediate impact guys nowadays. You know, you see like offensive linemen, D linemen, they take maybe two, three years to develop, and I mean the best are ready day one. Yeah. But most of the time, it, it takes a little bit of it takes a while before they get their second contract to become the player that they really could be. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's really interesting watching the receivers. It's great for football because. Uh, it's fun watching all these teams just have phenomenal athletes on the outside, and yeah, you know you're just getting great matchups with the DBs and wide receivers nowadays. It's it's all you can ask for. 100. percent And j- let me just ask: Do you guys? Would you guys be confident in a, in drafting or putting you know money via free agency into a receiver with that you know that Debo Samuel mold? Do you, do you want someone who's going to be running and uh, and catching the ball, and do you want to be paying him top end money? Uh, it's attractive to look at. You see it, and you're like, "Oh wow, I'm excited watching this guy play." But you have to, you have to, you have to be concerned with the usage. You know, you have to be concerned with him uh, carrying the ball inside the tackles. That it's there's not much longevity in that in the running back position, and he, he's probably better suited for his own career to just play wide out. You know, so yeah. at least play a couple more years than he would if he's getting running back snaps. You know, for the rest of his career. Um, I'm not sure. I, I think that it depends on the situation, really. Uh, I think some teams can easily just be like, oh, okay, we want Debo right now. Yeah. And some teams are like, okay, like, we don't want to take on the risk. And speaking of risk, you know, uh, Joe Burrow, Panay Suol, that debate, it was very fun to watch in the playoffs because, you know, Burrow was sacked like nine times against the Titans, and that's what everyone was talking about. And then we see him almost get hurt in the Super Bowl, and then it makes you, like, kind of get back to reality. It's like, okay, like, do we want to see him on this really high-powered offense, or do we want to see him play for us for maybe ten plus years? Mm-hmm. Because it'd be great to watch him for four years, him just dialing it up. But I don't want him having no knees by the time he's twenty-eight. Like I want to watch this great yeah. quarterback play. You know, hoping the kids can play, kids can watch him one day. You know, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I so mean, it's it's interesting conversations. It looks like some organizations are are really able to take on more risks than others. I, I would say that, because I have experience, obviously, with Cordero Patterson being on the Bears, and we mm-hmm. were the ones that tried to kind of first put him into that running back wide receiver position. For us, like you mentioned, it didn't work for us. Maybe it was our scheme. Maybe it was just that we, you know, I, it probably came down to just being on Matt Nagy's offense. But uh, so I think, like you said, I think it works for, it could work for certain organizations and certain players, but I would also be worried, especially with, because Debo and uh, Patterson are both bigger guys too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How how sustainable is that? You yeah, know? how yeah. sustainable is it? It's a very violent league. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's easy to forget. Yeah, but so why don't we keep talking about risky sports? And I know you said that you like watching MotoGP. Yes. So I'm curious how you got into it in the first place. The Ducati! <laughs> so I think it was the, the house that I was living in last year. It was just a random night. Uh, we were all just chilling on the couch. And all of a sudden, my recommendations was a MotoGP Qatar final lap highlight. It was about <laughs> three minutes long. And we click on it, and immediately the announcers are going crazy. They're they're literally fired up, going crazy about what's about to happen. Um, on the final lap, these two Ducatis just skirted by this Yamaha bike, and 
The announcers, the announcers just make it. The announcers just make the sport amazing for someone who doesn't know anything about it. You know, mm-hmm. there was just one video, and I was like, wow, like these announcers are very excited. Like all of a sudden, I'm really excited. And it's MotoGP is coming back March 6th, the first race in Qatar. Um, they come to America April 18th in Austin, which is really cool. Uh, these bikes are going super fast. They reach speeds up to 220 miles per hour. Uh, all the highest speeds are claimed by Team Ducati. Team Ducati is the most fun, the fun brand to watch. They're they're really fast and it's a it's an exciting sport. The crashes are pretty interesting too because mm-hmm. their suits are just so well made. Like their leather suits made from like kangaroo skin. They're stitched by hand and each suit takes hours to complete. And they also have like airbags in them, like around their back, shoulders, and rib cage. And they have like GPS and all these things, all these sensors to like, you know, so they also these airbags can deploy and the fall happens. And it's just an it's just an amazing sport. I, I don't know much about it. I really I'm really interested in it. I will know more about it. Yeah. But um I'll definitely be watching come March sixth and <laughs> I guess I could just watch that instead of baseball if baseball doesn't come back. Yeah. <laughs> and you you'll give us updates in the future. Oh of course. I definitely will. Go to Cotty. <laughs> And then so just to transition also to another high risk sport that I know that we all three watch um, this past weekend was UFC 271. Uh, there were some pretty good fights on that card. Uh, obviously at the top it was Adesanya versus Whitaker. Uh, and then you also had Derek Lewis versus Ty Tuivasa and then Jared Kennedy versus Derek Brunson. Um, let me ask you because I know that you know or that your favorite fighter is uh, Israel Adesanya. Um, and you watched that fight, so what did, what did you think of that fight? Uh, I thought it was a really good fight. I think it might have been boring to someone who might have just... This could be their first UFC event they've ever watched, and they watched Adesanya fight. They might have thought it was boring, but I think it was just another masterclass performance by Adesanya. He, you know, he barely got tagged. Um, around round three, you, you know, the announcer started saying, oh, it looks like his right wrist is hurting, his right hand. He couldn't even yeah. use it. So we, we basically saw him fight with one hand mm-hmm. for two whole rounds and no damage was done on him. And you know, he's he could easily be he could easily end up being one of the best middleweights to ever fight in the UFC. Um he has a twenty two and one record. His one loss is when he moved up to light heavyweight to fight Jan Blankowicz. Yeah. Massive guy, yeah, by the way. Yeah, he's yeah. He, massive Polish guy. You're yeah, not gonna you, win that. If you remember the fight, you know, they walk into the ring, you can you obviously see Jan just so much bigger than him yeah. and Adesanya did not get worked in that fight either. He, he didn't. He he held his own. He, I mean, he, he lost for sure, but mm-hmm. but he held his own. Came down to the mean? grappling for sure. Yeah. That was just yeah. the weight aspect. Yeah. He really did him. Like, you'd watch that fight, and I was really just like, oh, like, yeah, Adesanya's trying out light heavyweight for the first time. Let's see how it goes. And it ended up being a fun fight to watch. Mm-hmm. But other than that, he's undefeated 22 and 0, basically, other than the Yan fight. And before UFC, even, he was, a, he was a kickboxer. His professional record as a kickboxer, 75 and 5. Yeah, that's a lot of fights. Twenty-five wins and five losses, <laughs> a lot of fights, and twenty-five knockouts included. Um, he doesn't get touched. He's very good at defense. His takedown defense is impeccable. Like you know, some fighters will try and grapple with him, and he's he's known to be a striker, but he's not going to get on the ground. He won't let them. And mm-hmm. he could. I, I think he's probably the greatest striker of all time, and he's he's very good. Yeah, I think to your point too. When they were talking about his right hand, he's such a good kickboxer. He really didn't even need. He used his legs for most of the fight. Yeah. And I mean, watching that fight, I think he really cemented his win in the first round. He really messed up Whitaker's uh, 
his calf and his thigh. And that, that first of, dropped. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And that kind of that helped him out for the rest of the fight because Whitaker did battle back for sure. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, Whitaker towards the end started cooking that up, especially with the takedowns at yeah. the end, it, mm-hmm. it felt like. Yeah, but in the end, like like Carl was saying, I think Adesanya is just so so strategic. He just, you know, he calculates every single mm-hmm. move. He knows exactly, what, like, it feels like he knows exactly what Whitaker was going to do that entire time. Um, so it kind of fell into his hands. Yes, he won. It was kind of like a decision, uh, which Whitaker was surprised by. I don't think many viewers were surprised that Adesanya won that fight, but it was a good fight. And I'll ask you, did you see the Lewis and Tuivasa fight right before that? Yeah, I did. Wow. I, I did not think Derek Lewis would get slept like that. You know, we don't see him see that happening. That, that's what I'm saying. I'm a huge Derek Lewis fan, but I asked Jack during that fight, too. Um, let me ask you, what culture of people would you be the least likely to fight? Or would you be least inclined to fight? For, me, for me, it's Polynesians, for sure. Yeah, I was going to say, like, Samoan. Yeah. I uh, just, mm-hmm. I don't know, something about it, I just, I wouldn't want to fight them, you know? I mean, and any man that grabs a random stranger's shoe and does a shoe <laughs> out of it, I mean, that's kind of sketchy. I'd, I'd be scared to fight that. No thing. regard for human life. I, I will not be taking a shoey in, in the near future at any time. I, I would make that claim right now. I mean, and he came out. What song did he walk out to? It was like, what was it? It was, it was like, like such a. It was a girl. A it was like a girly song. song. Yeah, what was I, that? I remember texting Jack. I was like, Oh no, Tui Boss is gonna win this fight for sure. <laughs> and I came up so with comfortable. Like, exactly, bro. That's what Jack and I were talking about. You have to like listen to the walk-in song and then look at their like body language, and you could probably determine for the most part who's gonna win that fight. Just Girls just want to have fun. That's what it was. Girls just want to. I had a, I had a question for each of you. Uh, I'll start. Let's do it. I'll start with Jack. Um, have you have you seen the what the NFL has been trying to do to get their international influence up? They are they're the NFL is moving forward with gaining fans from abroad. Um, at least thirty two clubs, so all the NFL teams will play at least one international game in the next eight seasons. You know, so all of our teams yep. will play one international game. Germany now, mm-hmm, the German game. They, yeah. they want the Chiefs and Buccaneers to play in that, and that's I think that's just super cool. Mm-hmm. Um, they announced that 18 teams have been granted access to 26 international home marketing areas across eight different countries. Teams like the Cardinals now have an international fan base in Mexico. Uh, the Bears have an international fan base in Spain and the UK. So, you know, in the next in the next five eight years, we're going to watch a Cardinals game in Mexico. We're going to watch a Bears game in Spain and even mm-hmm. even the UK. And I just I gotta ask, compared to the compared to the NBA, what's what's the what are the similarities? It seems like the NFL is becoming a lot more global. Um, they're, they're trying to reach every every continent. What are, what are the similarities with the NBA? Uh, I would say that the NFL is likely assuming the NBA's aggress- like aggressiveness in pursuing international talent. I mean, it, when you watch the NBA, I'm going to leave people off the list, but you... You'll watch on a regular night or even throughout a season, a, you know, a, an emerging star such as, you know, Joel Embiid or like Pascal Siakam or something like that. And then you'll hear like, oh, this guy didn't pick up a basketball until he was in eighth grade. Yeah. Wow, and you're like, oh, OK. So he's just one of the best players in, in, in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that with sports, it's, it's inevitable. And it started with NBA, I would say, uh, that just once they tap into some of these international talent pools, the sport's only going to get so much better. Yeah. I mean, when you, when you, I mean specifically NBA. I mean some of the, some of the international talent in the league is crazy. Even even coming from you know like some of those uh, what are they called like Slavic regions like where, oh, yeah. Like, Slavic. Like, yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So 
I uh, I would say, and even to add to the NFL's point, I know because uh, the Cardinals had a, a tight end from Austria who who played uh, rugby that they have done it so that you can have you can like have exceptions if you have an international player on your roster, it won't count as roster spot or something along those oh, really lines. So you can, uh, as long as they're international, you can you can uh, have more players. But I think it's really interesting. I think it's going to make a great league. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited to see what the NFL is looking like in the future. You know, 20 years from now, you know, half our half our roster could be all international players. You know, instead of defensive back from Alabama, it's yeah. defensive back Netherlands. Yeah, that would be really cool for the sport. I think that would attract a lot a lot more people into watching it. You know, it is a new American pastime, though. <laughs> Take the throne of a baseball. Yeah, my, my one reservation, just really quick, I completely agree with everything Jax has said so far, but just my one reservation in comparison to basketball, though, is the field size, the space for football is so much bigger, and then also you have to have so much more equipment than basketball. You know, like, it's easier to pick up a basketball, have, like, even, like, a melt carton, uh, mm. you know, rim, for that mm-hmm. matter, and then you can play in certain countries. I think football, I think it... It's going to have a more difficult time expanding, but showing games in certain markets now will help, you know, yeah. further expand it quicker than it could have been. Yeah, I would agree. But but some of the the raw uh, skills that'll jump out when you you go to some of those international markets, you know, like for example, if if you're, and I mean, Carl, you and I always talk uh, about Nigeria as like the hotspot of all these athletes. I mean, mm-hmm. if you were just in Nigeria and you saw, you know. A Nigerian fighter, and he is, uh, you know, six four and, and can high point like anything. And you're like, wow, this guy could be the next elite wide receiver. You know what I mean? It, yeah, it, right, it right, could right, come yeah. down to things like that. No, for sure. Um, so it'll be cool to see where these uh, future pipelines are coming from. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had a I had a question for Sam. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on the the Bears hiring getting Matt Eberflus? I definitely will miss him as a Colts fan. And I I do think you guys are in great hands. Um, you know, first initial thoughts. I was kind of hoping for the OC route more than anything, just because, you know, Justin Fields, I wanted to make sure he was developed properly. But with that being said, our last head coach was an OC. We had Mitch Trubisky, look how that turned out. So I don't really think it matters all that much, but I think it does matter who um, the actual offensive coordinator is. Um, I also think it helps that we have a DC, so now he can kind of teach Justin Fields certain things to look for um, in terms of opposing defenses. And I also think just Eberflus has a guy um, Seems like just like such a football guy, just like wants to work hard, wants to get to it. Um, and, you know, that might not resonate with some players um, because he does seem like the type of guy that's going to run you a bunch and work you hard. But I think at the end of the day, that will be super beneficial, especially for the defensive side, rushing to the ball, getting there and, you know, making hits and getting stops. So I'm excited to have him. I'm excited. Um, we did get some other coaches from you. I think linebackers coach, our, your safeties coach is now our defensive coordinator, I believe. So we kind of have the whole Colts staff over in Chicago now. So Yeah. And you guys got Dave Borgonzi, who's our linebackers coach. He's a linebackers coach for mm-hmm. the Bears right now, too. And yeah, Ibrahim is he's great. He's phenomenal with the 4-3 scheme. I know that's a scheme with the Bears run. Um, you know, with Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn on the outside, you know, it's, it's not much more you can ask for in the diesel engines in the middle. Eddie Goldman and Akeem Hanks, you know, mm-hmm. it sets up a really nice foundation for Matt Ibrahim to build off of. And, and he said, um, you know, he might work the players hard. He will because he, he does preach disciplined defenses. And in 2019 and 2021, the Colts had the least penalized defense in the league. So it'd be it'd be great to watch a team, you know, not, you know, suffer some drawbacks from yeah. the penalties that can mm-hmm. accrue. Yeah. Yeah, I think Most we definitely. one of the highest penalized teams. So that would definitely help too. But, <laughs> there you go. Um, Carl, it's been a pleasure having you on. That was awesome. It was super awesome to talk to you. I appreciate you coming yeah, out. Pleasure to be on. 
we'll get you on uh, sometime in the following two months, probably. Yeah, yeah pretty soon, pretty soon. Very excited. And our next guest, Sammy, he was also on the episode after the Patriots-Bills-Blizzard game. Uh, he cooked up our, our first and, and biggest dose of baseball talk. <laughs> and uh, it seems pretty appropriate that we start off with the baseball. Lockout? What's going on? Yeah, so thanks guys for having me. It's always a pleasure to be on this great show. But <laughs> so respectful of you. But you know, Major League Baseball been in the news a lot lately. First, because of this lockout that's going on. This lockout that Robert Manfred, the commissioner of Major League Baseball, seems to, he speaks, he speaks about the lockout as though it's an inevitability that a deal will be met. And he, they have set the deadline for February 28th for when the deal has to be reached in order to start the season on time, which is March 31st. So that that's a quick turnaround. So that gives them eight days, yeah. And this week they will be meeting every single day, the MLBPA and the owners. They'll be meeting every single day, which is not what they had generally been doing. So uh, folks around the league are optimistic that this will be when they when they uh, finally reach an agreement. And then to go along with the lockout, maybe even more notably, there's been the Air K trial in the major leagues, which is of a former Dodgers personnel member who was accused of dealing opiates around the league to various uh, active major league players, resulting in the death of Tyler Staggs, who was the Dodgers pitcher a few years ago. When did this happen, actually? Was it 2018 so or 2019? Was 2018, I believe, that Staggs gotcha. died. Sam, uh, do you remember that? I think it did. It was, it was 2019. 2019. The summer of 2019, the middle of the season. So then over the last week, this Eric K. trial has gone on. He was actually found guilty yesterday of causing the death of Tyler Skaggs. And during the trial, five or two active MLB players and five former MLB players testified saying that they had been involved in this drug ring that uh, Eric Kay was kind of conducting. Most notably, Matt Harvey, who was one of my favorite Mets pitchers of all time in 2015, 2014. Mm. He was the biggest baseball player in New York City. He was one of the best pitchers in the major leagues. He took the Mets to the World Series. And he was basically testified before... Uh, before the court saying that he had been receiving drugs and using drugs the entire time from Eric Kay. And you said he was he was playing at the top of his game. He was playing at the top of his game. He actually got Tommy John surgery at the end of 2014, which is the equivalent of an ACL pair for a, yeah. a baseball pitcher. And he immediately returned the next year and took the Mets to a World Series, was dominant throughout the playoffs. And then kind of just, it seems a little unheard and of. And this past week, you hear that he <laughs> was actually he was abusing drugs the whole time, that he was depressed the whole time, and it kind of po- points to this larger issue in the major leagues that they're just so far behind the rest of American sports in terms of discussing the mental state of their players yeah. and talking about it. In in trial, Harvey was asked if he ever thought to warn Tyler Skaggs to maybe that maybe he was abusing these drugs too much, and he said. That he didn't really think of it because when you're in the major leagues, the only thing you think of is how can you best stay on the field. Hmm. And I think that that kind of goes to the attitude that these major leaguers have and that there actually is an opioid problem in the major leagues that continues to exist. Players are abusing these drugs and playing. That's, I mean, that's heavy stuff. For, first, it's, it's really insane, honestly. Uh, to, let's take a couple steps back. Uh, what do you think... 
will ultimately be the result of, of like, I mean, does that, does something like this, does a trial like this ultimately like a change the way, you know, like fans watch the MLB or is it more so like behind closed doors and, and just like being, you know, more, more awareness for the MLB as a, as a league to kind of get on those, the sort of things we've seen with the NBA and NFL? Um, I don't think that it will affect the way that people watch the major leagues. I think that for very attentive fans who really understand what's going on, it's impossible to not think of this guy literally died in the middle of the season mm-hmm. in 2019. Um, but, I'm sorry. but yeah, Ken Rosenthal did a report where he discussed how widespread this opiate use was in the major leagues, and it was... I'm totally you're, missing. I'm totally, you're totally missing. You're take your time. Yeah, take your time. I'm gonna fall. I'm gonna ask you a question that you can answer after you get your whatever you're looking for. Okay. I was gonna say, uh, how is it feeling? Okay, go go with your number. Okay. Uh, I was gonna say, how are you feeling? Because um, last time we talked was when the Mets were really active uh, with a lot of movement at the was it free agency at the time? Yeah. Uh, so I just wanted to know because it's kind of come. Not, well, definitely not full circle, but uh, it's it's kind of come to a, a little weird how you were very excited. It seemed like the, the future was bright for the Mets. Maybe they were going to start uh, spending a lot of cash and, and really turn into a dynasty. And, and now the speed bump is immediately in front of them. Absolutely. And I think that the last time we spoke, it was probably the week or two right before the league officially went into a lockout. Mm-hmm. So all of these big stars were signing these massive contracts while the more middling players who were earning far less money were still left out of contract. And it was basically on that date that all transactions stopped in the major leagues. Yeah. So, of course, I'm still optimistic on the Mets as I was however long ago we yeah. talked. Mm-hmm. but. Seriously, nothing has gone down in the major league since then. There's been no, there's there's no, been no team switching. There's been no transactions. Um, you know, teams will leak that they're interested in adding to their outfield. The Mets have discussed adding to their outfield, but it's what, like, does that, what does that yeah, even mean? Yeah. They can't actually make any yeah. move. So do you think, actually, do you think that if the season were to be shortened, if, if the lockout were to uh, keep going on for quite a bit, that I would actually help the Mets' odds, maybe? Because they're so deep um, and so talented. They are deep and talented, but if you if you sit through an entire major league season, you see that there are very few teams that are actually deep enough. So I think that a shortened season probably would help, probably helps every team. I think that the season is too long. I think that a shortened season will help elite teams who can have their best players play less. Gotcha. Especially be, with, with the older pitching staff course, you guys yeah, have. Of course, with the Mets' older pitching staff, you'd love for those guys to be able to put in less innings in the regular season. Yeah. Um, do, you, do you have your stat, by the way? We want to give you the floor if you, if you got your stat. If not, we can... I, I'm reading this article written by Ken Rosenthal. It says, how, how prevalent is the use of opioids in Major League Baseball? He doesn't answer the question in the article. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but still, give it, a, give it a read if you want, listener. Um, but we can move on to... Should we go Champions League? Is that, is that has that been going on the yeah, past the couple of days? Right, just returned the last week, along with a lot of league soccer. There was the international break, so last Tuesday marked the return of the Champions League. We got Tuesday and Wednesday. We got to see Real Madrid play Paris Saint Germain in a two leg draw. Paris Saint Germain winning the first leg on a late Kylian Mbappe goal. Oh, so we watched that together. We watched that together. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, Let's let's take a step back. We haven't really discussed, I mean, discussed yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, big soccer on this podcast. So, 
Premier League would. Yeah, yeah. Let's take a step back. Let's let's let you have the floor and and talk about the difference between Premier League and Champions League. Okay. So we have all these European nations, however many they are. Every single every single nation has their own domestic league, where teams that exist inside that nation will play against each other. Then. So in England, it's the Premier League. In Germany, it's the Bundesliga. In France, it's the Ligue 1. And then there's the Champions League, which takes the top teams from each of these European leagues and kind of puts them into a tournament-style bracket that will take place simultaneous to these domestic leagues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And of course, the Champions League is the best of the best. So you have your best four teams in Spain, your best four teams in Germany, your best four teams in England, your best four teams in France, mm-hmm. as well as teams from smaller European nations scattered throughout. And they're all playing in this tournament to determine who the champion of Europe is. And then it goes World Cup style, right, in terms of how, how so, it works? Yeah, so it begins with these teams all being separated into six groups of four, and then they all play each other for the entirety of the fall, and then once February comes, it's the round of 16 and it's no longer single games you play a home game and a home game so mm-hmm. paris saint-germain and real madrid are playing this past week they played in paris in two weeks they'll play again in madrid oh wow there's okay. quite a separation between those games yeah and two weeks and yeah and throughout those two weeks they're playing in their league they're yeah. playing other matches but the biggest change that happened this year in the champions league so when you have these two leg draws, the winner is determined on aggregate. So you add up the scores from the games and the winner goes through. And for all of time before this, the tiebreaker in that aggregate, if it was 3-3 after two matches, it was whoever scored the most away goals. So scoring goals on the road was absolutely crucial and you mm-hmm. had to change the way that you played when you were on the road because of how valuable mm-hmm. an away goal was. So that's if, no more. This year they scrapped it after many people complaining because you could be up a whole goal and then they score an away goal and suddenly they're winning yeah. on, on the tiebreaker. Mm-hmm. So they scrapped it and you can see that it has changed the way the teams play. They no longer feel that they have to gamble when they're on the road to score goals because the goal on the road is the same as the goal at home. Yeah. And it's far easier to play at home, so why not just defend on the road? Ooh. So I actually see, so that kind of like dilutes the product. Yeah, so it dilutes the product. And and I would say that public, the public was largely behind this change to begin with. And now as this this first set of group stage games has gone down, there have been complaints that the intensity was a bit down because teams on the road are now very content to just play for a nail-nail draw. So it kind of smacked people in the face a little bit. Yeah. But uh, I know we talk about soccer a lot. I'm, I'm not a huge soccer fan. What's, you know at all uh and i know you're not sam but uh you can tell how, how <laughs> silent i've been just listening and taking everything in that sam has been saying but i do know that man city is is like considered to be the best team in the world by a lot of people and is is sort of as you have explained to me kind of like a uh like a fake a, historic a pl- team a plastic club yeah like a, a plastic team that's that's how you described it but uh at any rate they Still have never won a Champions League for how successful they've been. I mean, they've won back-to-back prems, right? They've won three of the last four Premier Leagues. I believe that they've won five or six in the last ten years. But they're yet to win the Champions League. So the the last question before we get off soccer is, I got the odds right in front of me. Man City's favored to win the Champions League right now at plus 275. Uh, And then the list goes down. I'm going to turn this to you. I'm going to have you make your pick. 
and announce the odds so we can just start printing money for whoever's listening. Personally, without even looking at the odds, I'm ready to take Liverpool to win the Champions League. Really? They have a home field advantage that is relatively unparalleled, and they've been playing incredibly well. They're plus 500 there. They're the third favorites. You like that. Liverpool and- Liverpool are very tough to beat at home. They're already up to nothing in their first round draw right now. They're looking to go through to the next round. I would pick them to win the Champions League. And they're led by uh, uh, Mo Salah, right? They're led by Mo Salah, their manager, Jurgen Klopp, a German man. They actually won the, they won the Champions League in 2018 with a lot of the guys who are still on that team now. So they all have plenty of experience. Gotcha. And in their first round matchup is Norwich, right? Is that who Their just, first round matchup is Inter Milan. They just played their match in Milan and gotcha. beat them 2-0. So now in two weeks, they're coming to Liverpool where they historically do not lose with already a 2-0 lead. Can I ask, do you have a team that you support usually? Is it Liverpool? Big time, no. no. I, I support Arsenal, who okay. are a club from London, and they have not, they're historically a great club, but in the last five years, they, you have to finish in the top four in England to qualify for the Champions oh. League. In uh-huh. the last five years, they haven't qualified. They haven't finished in the top gotcha. four. Okay. Wow. Uh, all right, let's transition to, to where we can all some all start hopping in <laughs> some American sports. Yeah, let's let's go NFL. I think the I think what's interesting. So I know we've discussed uh, on on past podcast that uh, Sammy's a Philadelphia Eagles fan, and I think the Eagles are particularly interesting because they're one of the few teams I can remember at least in history um, where like overachieved to the max in terms of how they were conceived coming into the season, and now they're. They were considered to be in that rebuild mode, stacking up draft picks. They have three first-round picks, 15, 16, and 19. And they also made the playoffs. Um, So I think this is a team that will pick up as we get going in the offseason. And, you know, you'll start seeing everyone being like, well, what about the Eagles? You know what I mean? What's going on here? I mean, they're kind of just sitting on top of a treasure chest. And I think that also leads into the question, the long-winded question, uh, what are the Eagles going to be doing this offseason, in your opinion? Because uh, I know you have a pretty realistic out- outlook on, on how they operate. And is Jalen Hurts the guy in Philadelphia, at, at least for another year? Very long-winded. Absolutely. <laughs> I can say with relative certainty that Jalen Hurts is the guy in Philadelphia for the next year. I did sit down at the end of the season, and I watched Nick Sirianni and Howie Roseman's press conference where they where they basically said that much. Of course, Sirianni was far more adamant that Hurts was the guy next year than Roseman was. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that if the right deal came along, Roseman would not immediately trade away a lot of draft capital to go get a quarterback. Yeah. I think that it's unlikely, and I think that they are happy with Jalen Hurts and with their three first-round draft picks. I also don't think that necessarily that the Eagles are in that position that the Rams were last year where yeah. they're actually a quarterback away from winning a Super Bowl. I think that if you're going to go and mortgage multiple first-round picks like that and kind of the immediate future of your franchise, that it's that you have to know that you're going to be able to compete for a championship. Yeah. And that the Eagles are certainly on that place, especially with such a young head coach and such a young defensive coordinator who really struggled last year. Yeah. I, I mean, Sam, what do you think about that? I mean, I guess my, I have a question for you. I mean, because I think personally watching Hurts this past year, you definitely saw a leap from the year prior. And like Jack, I think, brought up multiple times just in personal conversations that it was almost like he was a first-year quarterback this year. And he was damn good. And he was really, really good. So my question to you is, if they were to look elsewhere for a different quarterback, who would you prefer? Who 
did the Eagles have the capabilities to go and get in that aspect? I mean, I think they can get anyone in the NFL, realistically. Yeah, I think that, yeah, in terms of their assets, I think that they can go out and get anybody in the NFL. I would prefer, if you're discussing all the drafts, all the quarterbacks available by trade, all yep. the quarterbacks available by draft, I prefer for them to go out and get Russell Wilson. Okay. I mean, I that's, think that Russell Wilson would give them the best chance to win a, to win a championship immediately. And you have five years. And, and exactly, you have five years. With, um, with Aaron Rodgers, you're, you're putting the dice on two years. Rodgers is a bit older. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Deshaun Watson, I don't want anywhere near my team. That's a totally <laughs> fair take. I, I respect that. And, we respect that on that on this podcast. And there's, I don't think that there, you're going to find anybody in the draft right now who is substantially younger and than Jalen Hurts and also in a similar spot. Like Jalen Hurts is 23 years old. I'm pretty sure that Kenny Pickett is 23 years old as well. Hmm. So they're the same age and Hurts has started 17, 18, 18 NFL games, games in the playoffs yeah. and a playoff game. Yeah. So, you know, I'm very pleased to be able to go forward with Jalen Hurts. That being said, I think that the rest of the team needs a lot of work. Um, I actually have a list here of guys in the draft. The Eagles have three first-round draft picks, 15, 16, and 19. We were going there next. I have a list here of guys who I would be incredibly happy to see on the Eagles. And, and by the way, let me just add, you are, there's absolutely no one that you're going to get in the draft that is going to be better than Jalen Hurts week one no, next season. So yeah. that's, I mean, no one should be fooled by that. That being said, just to get on the record, if I were to choose a quarterback from the draft for the Eagles to take, it would be Malik Willis. I believe that he'll be. I think that he'll be successful in the NFL. He. It's funny because he's been comp to Jalen Hurts. Exactly. Yeah. So that's <laughs> with, that's with turbo boosters. Yeah, with, with turbo boosters though. Yeah, he's he's an interesting one. I actually can't wait to wa- to watch him a little bit more. But yeah, go. You have the floor: 15, 16, and nineteen. Um, and by the way, do you know where you acquired each pick? I, your own pick is nineteen. The Eagles' pick is nineteen. The Colts and the Dolphins had nearly identical records. Okay, so 15 so and 16. 15 and 16 yeah. are the Colts and the Dolphins. I think that the Dolphins are 15 and the Colts are 16. Gotcha. So first, the Eagle, Jason Kelsey is returning. Brandon Brooks is retiring. Jason Kelsey could retire at any moment after this year. I think that they will look to shore up the interior of the offensive line. And Great call. Ideally, they would do that with Linderbaum out of Iowa or Kenyon Green out of Texas a I think those are, based on what I've been hearing, I mean, I know Linderbaum is, is the hot one. Sam, have you seen the video of him uh, pinning Tristan Wirfs in the Iowa high school wrestling championship? Actually, yes, I did see yeah. that pretty recently. That, that's kind of been that. blowing up with, with his you know draft stock or his, his draft profile. But he's, I mean, I love him for the Cardinals too. He's so appealing. And then uh, Kenyon Green, you said, mm-hmm. he's, I believe, is he the guy that's just built like a monster? Yeah, he's gigantic. Yeah. interior offensive lineman from Texas A&M. I think that one of those guys to pair with Landon Dickerson, who they drafted last year, would do very well for the Eagles, mm-hmm. to, who are in a constant state of rebuilding their offensive line yeah. to, to get that done. I would like that 100%. And I, and I think I, I'm curious to see who else you, you have on the list, actually, before I, before I add my thoughts. So the, remainder, the remaining guys on my list are all defensive players. I think that the Eagles could potentially look to take a wide receiver, but that would be their third year in a row taking a wide receiver in the first round. Yeah. I don't mm-hmm. There's plenty of free, uh, free agent wide receivers who could be very good. I don't necessarily see it happening. That being said, the next positions of need, edge rusher, cornerback, linebacker, safety. Mm-hmm. For the Eagles... Those are all big positions. Those are all big positions. The Eagles historically do not value the linebacker position in the draft. They haven't had any good linebackers. They haven't drafted them. This year, there are guys like Nicobe Dean and Devin Lloyd who yeah. seem to be 
really elite college football linebackers who they seem day one. They ready. seem they seem day one and poised yeah. to make a transition into the NFL. hundred percent. I I think Nicobe Dean is he's mesmerizing when you watch him. Have, have you seen Nicobe Dean? Yeah, yeah, especially during the uh, even the championship game, he was yeah. just all over the place constantly, all over yeah. the field. And, uh, and then you know? to add on to these guys, I have Derek Stingley out of LSU. There's a lot of cornerbacks who it's kind of unsure of where they'll go at. On my yeah. list, I have Stingley. Sauce Gardner from Cincinnati, and then Andrew Booth from Clemson, all of whom I'd be very pleased for the Eagles to get. They'd be great to pair next to Darius Slay. Mm. And then lastly, we have Edge Rusher, and I have Ojaba out of Michigan, who I've heard is actually not too far behind Aiden Hutchinson in a lot of people's opinions. It would be lucky if he could even slip to the Eagles, and then George Karloftis out of Purdue. I, I've heard a lot of, yeah. I, I've heard a lot about all those guys. I, I think I was actually going to bring up N'Kobe Dean. Um, you know, the, the entire NFL is very lucky. Uh, that the Cardinals do not have a a top pick because they would for sure go N'Kobe Dean for their third inside linebacker of course. in a row. And then they would pigeonhole on that outside linebacker or something like that. So I just want to say you're welcome to the NFL on that one. But what do we think in terms of – we're going to switch gears here a little bit. What do we think in terms of the uh, the new look Sixers? I know you're, you're, you're a brief uh, or, or a sort of on and off Sixers fan, and we haven't really – you know, let me start it off. What's the right time to start watching the NBA? And then answer your, your uh, the New Look Sixers question. For me personally, the right time to watch the NBA has generally been the beginning of the playoffs, which is okay. a cop-out answer. I think that last year, the addition of the playoff game, I mean the playing game, made it so that the final 10 games of the regular season or so were also incredibly exciting mm-hmm. as more and more teams have something to play for. Mm-hmm. Very true. I would in, agree. In terms of the Sixers... I'm very pleased that they were able to get James Harden without trading Tyrese Maxey. He seems very good and very exciting. I would agree. And I think that Joel Embiid should be commended for keeping the Sixers in comp- in contention this entire time while this Ben Simmons saga kind of loomed over them. He's been pl- ever since it's happened. He's been playing like the best guy in the league. So I would agree. Yeah, I, I think that's almost allowed them to pursue that trade a little more aggressively because yeah. they've realized that they actually have like a, a top of the line elite player exactly. that they yeah. can't really be wasting. But yeah, I'm actually really excited. What do you think about on the on the net side though? I think that is a great trade for the Nets as well. I think that all this, all the slander that Ben Simmons has get has gotten, and maybe it's not slander, maybe much of it is very well deserved, has kind of made people lose sight of that the fact that he's perhaps the best perimeter defender in the NBA, mm-hmm. one of the best passers in the NBA, and now he's going to play with Kevin Durant and unvaccinated Kyrie Irving. So. <laughs> that's that's fair, totally fair. Any uh, any closing thoughts? I, w- I do want to ask you just. On this topic too, have you seen Embiid's step backs that he's been trying ever since James Harden has joined the team? I have. I saw the first one that he. Well, he tried it in a game, didn't he? I, I saw he tried it in I a game. He got called for a travel. Called for a travel, and then the next day there were clips at practice of him getting it down a little bit cleaner. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that that'll be something that he works on and will not be afraid to use in games. Yeah, I, I hope that that pair works out for you guys. I think me personally as a fan. I think I might be a little bit upset that they got rid of Curry, but I think that was ne- like necessary, obviously, to get that deal done because mm-hmm. he's like a huge piece of that team, a great scorer, even though he's obviously not his brother and he never will be, but he's still in his own. He's a very good scorer, but um, I think I think it can work. But Harden's going to have to go against some of his own morals and you know playing habits if they really want to have a chance to win it all, which I think they they. Potentially can't. Yeah, of course. But I would agree. Should be interesting. All right. The the audio is going to cut out right after you make this this pick. I'm turning my computer around. 
and you are picking the 2023 Super Bowl winner. Um, Sam T, you are going to go first, and then Sammy's going to make his pick, and then the audio is going to end. Hmm, that's weird. The Bears are all the way at the bottom. Kind of odd. Uh, I think for me, my pick is probably going to be Sneaky Broncos. At sixteen hundred, get some value. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Feel free to scroll, Sammy. I see absolutely no shot that the Broncos win the Super Bowl. <laughs> I, I think, I think <laughs> if they get if they get Rogers, I think they have a lot better shot. But that's a huge if. I think with Rogers, they're not winning the Super Bowl. Jack, we spoke a lot about the Ravens. I think that the Ravens would probably be the pick that I would te- the team that I would pick from this list. The along, Ravens are my pick, along with the Chiefs. If I if I had to bet it, I would of course take the Ravens since they're the far heavier underdog. But you know, everybody seemed to forget about them. All right, with us, our final guest. We have Adonis making his debut on the podcast. Uh, real big day for him. I'm sure he'll be telling his uh, kids about this one someday. But we're just gonna we're gonna toss one to <laughs> we're gonna toss one to Adonis to start us off. Uh, 49ers fan to give some context, and the 49ers were certainly a sweetheart at the end. They they had the probably biggest resurgence I've I've seen in quite some time. They went from what were they four and five or three and four? Three and five. Three, three and, and five. five. Gotcha. And three and five uh, play the, the Cowboys to start the uh, the playoffs, which you were at, and then uh, face the. Am I mixing my? Face the Rams or wait no? No, they went. They went uh, Cowboys for the wild card, and then Packers. At yeah, Cow- okay, yeah. I'm, yep. I'm missing the good stuff. Cowboys, Packers, and then Rams. Um, let's just. Let's talk about your experiences with the season, your thoughts, and uh, maybe some closing messages to Jimmy Garoppolo. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it's it was an interesting season as far as it ending last year, um, the 2020 season with the injuries and in our record and the questions as far as Jimmy's health going into next year or this past season, I should say. And, you know, starting with that kind of Trey Lance trade, as we all came to find out, that was the QB of choice, riding into kind of the first Mm-hmm. As we just mentioned, that three and five record uh, was brutal. It was uh, a disgusting time to be a 49er fan, to be a 49er fan on Twitter, to mm-hmm. be watching incompetent quarterback play. Um, and then to kind of see the back and forth of Trey Lance starting for Arizona and then coming in for the second half of the Seahawks game as well as playing uh, that final Texans game was his last appearance. It was very, it was a roller coaster. It was the most roller coaster season I've had probably in like my adult life being a 49ers yeah. fan. As a kid, obviously, you have like the kind of Harbaugh eras that were just as aggressively wild, but those are, you know, not as much passion, I guess. You're just kind of a kid. You're kind of avidly yeah. watching and don't really know what's going on. Uh, this year was the opposite of that. It was bumps and bruises. Um, come that final Rams game in week 18, it was definitely like, you know, do or die as far as we're going to get in or not. But then winning that, it was house money. So I would say as far as the postseason went, it was, you know, nothing but pure bliss Um, going to two playoff games in person, the wild card and then the eventual loss and the NFC championship were amazing, to say the least, even though watching blue and yellow ugly confetti drop was pretty disappointing. Um, It was still a great time to kind of see my team make it that far from all of the trash trash talk that I saw and that I felt personally about the team and personal decisions being made as far as how our D line was looking and how our secondary was playing and injuries afoot and whatnot. So as a whole, the season was one to remember. I'll always have my little 75th anniversary for the Niners towel that I got from going to the Monday night uh, Colts game with me. So uh, overall satisfied as a fan, happy to see the future. Um, And Jimmy G 
I've probably used worse words on Twitter, but I've kind of come to appreciate him in the postseason, even though he played god awful. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you better appreciate him. He is a winner. Um, he's a winner in very certain schemes and circumstances, but can't uh, get anyone over the hump as far yeah. as I'm concerned. So happy to see him go. Thankful for the winning games that I got to see in the two amazing seasons. Uh, that will yeah. be storybooks for me to tell my future 49er. Uh, faithful children, if you will, because <laughs> they will not be falling out of line. So happy to see him go. Can't wait to see the the Washington football team, because I'm not calling them commanders, throw up a first or the Steelers or whoever else is in the, the quarterback sweepstakes once um, Russell and, and Aaron figure their situations out. Definitely, definitely. And, and let's let's just transition that right into a look ahead at the, at the Niners offseason, because they're in uh, an interesting yet familiar situation. I say familiar in that uh, – New OC, OC poached right uh, right from their their ranks immediately. Um, Mike McDaniel is going to be the head coach of the Dolphins, which I actually can't wait for. Uh, and now new quarterback, potentially. It's not really like set in stone, but you would think so. And um, there's going to be a different look to the team for sure, because there's, I would say, at least from an outsider's perspective, Sam, do you feel, feel please? please feel free to add on. Um, I think that there's definitely holes to be addressed in the secondary. And I think that the interior O-line, while I don't think it's bad, I think that it could use some work. Um, And I think obviously, I mean, every every coach or GM always wants to get better. So Sam, you, you put your thoughts on that and then we'll let Adonis uh, get into it. No, I think I agree most with most of what you said. And I I guess that kind of makes me wonder like for Adonis, if you as a fan hold like a coaching position or like certain uh, player positions like DB or line or whatever that is with more importance, like what do you value more as a fan, like coaches or players? Um, I, I'd say players first and foremost. I think if you're a star player and a stud, you can thrive in, in any system to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Although with coaches, it definitely enhances it. Right. I think if, you're going to see Jimmy in whatever system he goes to next. He's not going to be the, you know, healthy Cal Shanahan offense, you know, yeah. throws over the middle and underneath kind of efficient quarterback that he is. I Maybe. Know. I don't know. We'll see. My you jury's out know. on that. Yeah. You never know. 100%. Um, but, but definitely more I value players. I, I think coaches are great, but I also think, too, they kind of – and we've seen it again and again. The best example, and although it's college, but was Urban Meyer this year, right? It was all of the hype yeah. around Urban Meyer and – I think a lot of predictions even before the season, even maybe some of the hosts we have here had, you know, Jacksonville winning a couple of games here and there. So not to point any fingers, but that was a catastrophe, <laughs> right? And they have they have a lot of talent on that team at the end of the day. They really do, so honestly. No, that's a great point. It's, it's kind yeah. of like, you know, they, they still were able to overcome a little of it and get some of those trap games, especially with the Colts in that final game to absolutely nuke the city of Indianapolis. But, yeah. um, you know, with that being said, uh, it's it's definitely more players. Coaching plays a, still a huge role in it, but I think you know, I kind of even as we saw, we saw a lot of players overcoming that deficit of just Urban Meyer and his staff not knowing anything about what they were doing on a on an yeah. NFL field. Definitely, definitely. And, and can you you know address the uh, the the new look for the Niners the next season? I guess the off season. You know, new, new OC, new quarterback. I guess. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, a couple thoughts. Like McDaniel leaving was a was a pretty sore spot in the offseason. Um, thankfully, we retained Amico. He, he he turned down his second interview with the Vikings to, to stay on with the Niners defense. I also think too the Vikings are just not in a, a great situation. So 
Yeah. I think it's also interesting too, McDaniel's going to Miami amidst all of the controversy surrounding, um, you know, being investigated and sued yeah. by Brian Flores and the franchise owner just not being a great person in general. But that being said, he was instrumental in the play designs from what uh, I understand he essentially was working on the entire run game for the weekend. Then we presented to Shanahan as he worked with the pass. So um, going to be interesting how that works out, but also bringing in Anthony Lynn kind of, you know, in my mind negates it a little bit. Lynn's while not great head coaching material, as far as being able to really, I guess, you know, surround and, and, and kind of, you know, bring a team together as he's kind of been shown with his stint in, um, for the LA Chargers, and then mm-hmm. even when he was being the OC for Detroit, he still wasn't that great. But yeah. Detroit's personnel isn't great, and also I, you know, juries out of Dan Campbell in general. So, so again, we still stop some of the bleeding there, so I'm not too worried about it. Um, and as for personnel, a lot of free agents, um, Lake and Tomlinson on our O line is going to be probably leaving and probably be a little overpaid for, depending on who's out there. But everyone's going to want to patch up their O line, especially if they're seeing Joe Burrow be massacred in the off season with the the Titans game, and then especially with the actual Super Bowl appearance. So I think for us, it's um, O-line. We can kind of let it go. We did draft Aaron Banks, and I think we're probably going to be drafting an O-line uh, with our second round pick or first, depending on what happens with Jimmy. Hmm. Um, for our secondary, I'm not crazy worried about it. If you think about who we just had in general, we had, uh, uh, forgetting his name, but when Jason Brett went down in that first week, we brought in guys like Josh Norman. Emmanuel Mosey still played phenomenal. He played essentially it's similar to Jason Barrett in the 2020 season. Yeah. So it was still great in coverage and was able to kind of, you know, shut on a lot of, a lot of top receivers. So was it Ambry uh, Thomas? Ambry Thomas. Yeah. yeah. Ambry Thomas. And he's, he played phenomenally and yeah. we even had some, some hype around Yamador Lenore for uh, the first couple of weeks. So yeah. I'm not too worried about it. I just think it needs to be bolstered. Um, I think we need to essentially not just go after more injury prone players as we have been in the yeah. past. It's kind of a 49er favorite is to find cheap veterans who get injured and, Maybe they have a breakout year or not. They could so, use a stable. They, they could use yeah. a stable every snap uh, corner, in my opinion. But yeah, yeah you're, you're right though. They, they did have players step up big time, and I mean that's pretty evident. They went to the uh, the NFC Championship, which you don't do without players stepping up. No, I mean, and we faced and, and just for this tidbit, right through the wild card game all the way through the NFC Championship, we had Amari Cooper, we had um, CD Lamb, Devonte Adams, and then Cooper Cup. OBJ ended up losing that game, obviously, but was still a close, close yeah. game. And with that being said, was still able to to keep uh, the 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 point differential um, uh, pretty close there. So definitely, yep. Well, let's let you take this actually in any direction you want. It, so Sam or or you, Adonis. I know we we have a couple things that we we've discussed. So feel free. Well, I think I think a good kind of segue as we have been talking about the 49ers path in the playoffs. So you mentioned that you got to go to a couple games, obviously, which I'm sure bittersweet the last one, but you had good times at the other one. Um, so let me ask you this. It's kind of an interesting question, excuse me. So as a team progresses through the playoffs or even before that, do you think, is it your opinion that it's better to lose earlier on or later on from a fan viewpoint? From a, from a fan's viewpoint, like Van- devastation wise? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, we have two perfect examples. Yeah, we here, have two perfect examples. <laughs> I was just going to say, uh, uh, let me tell you this. My experience sucked. Uh, so um, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with Adonis as being more fun. Probably. True. I've also, I've also experienced getting blown out in the NFC championship by the Panthers in, in 2015. And that really, really sucked. And that's painful because you'll go back and you'll be like, 
they might have won that Super Bowl. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But uh, just the whole point of like yeah. getting let on, you know? Yeah, hundred percent. But uh, I'm going to answer that question and let Adonis go, and I'm going to say that my experience sucked way more than yours, Adonis. So yeah, I, I will <laughs> not. I will not deny you that whatsoever. Um, yeah, it, it's just I think. I think it depends on the kind of fan you are, right? Like if you're like, like, like any of us who are, you know, very invested in our teams, both emotionally and financially speaking, it is, <laughs> uh, is big. it's, it's, it's bitter, but I guess it's, it's also situational with Jack. You had this, you know, the Cardinals were red hot. The Cardinals were Super Bowl potential, you know, like NFC championship favorites going to represent rise up Red Sea. You know, it was the most disgusting thing to see on Twitter of all time, but it was like, cool. Like, let's, let's let Jack have his moment. This is awesome. Um, and then to have that kind of red hot start and then for it to fizzle out. Right. And then to yeah. then lose that first position in the NFC and then to, you know, be bounced out in the first round. That is, that is the ultimate, like what could have been, you know, what was on paper, what were we doing in September, October that didn't translate through to January football, you know? Yeah. So uh, and I think for me, it was messy at first when we were able to be a scrappy team. And, and, and again, what I was referencing earlier, once we hit that week 18 game versus the Rams and it was just house money, I was like, perfect. I'm going to try and enjoy this now. I'm going to try and actually like soak up yeah. these moments and yeah. I don't have to be so pressured because I even think too, flying out to that wild card game in Dallas. I mean, I had people in line who were like, man, it's going to be a long flight home. And I was like, Hey man, I'm just here happy to see some football. Like, yeah, no exactly. worries. Like, so I, I think it definitely more so it's less sad to see your team get far in the playoffs and lose. But I also think it's very situational as to what your team is doing, how are they performing and the expectations surrounding them entering. Yeah. Cause I think every game we were in, we were, we were underdogs. I think yeah. I want to say against the Packers, we were like six points, you know, underdogs. And then with the, the Dallas, it was three. And then I want to say with the Rams, it was four. So mm-hmm. every time it was house money. Just unfortunately, you know, one of the times I went, I lost the house money. So yeah. what can you do? Yeah, hundred percent. Let me let me take this in a different direction, and I'm going to leave the floor open. Uh, I thought an interesting question you brought up, Adonis, was you know, like while there are certain players are retiring at the or not even players, uh, just people are retiring at the right time. Um, and, and you kind of just brought up, you know, Tom Brady, the the Aaron Donald news, the all of a sudden, you know, Sean McVay, um, and in any example, I guess. I think uh, I want to leave the floor open to you guys in terms of what you guys think about that. And then, uh, you know, shoot, I guess. So, I mean, me personally, when I, when I saw that question, I thought it's kind of interesting to evaluate Tom Brady in the same light as a lot of those players, because he was 44, Mm -hmm. but it also is interesting that you could flip it and he was still playing some of the best, you know, football of his career. So like, in that sense, could you compare him to players like Luke Keekley, who obviously had to retire because of medical reasons or like, yeah. you know, Megatron, but like being 44, is that a similar situation or like, was it truly like his time? You know, I, fi- I find that very interesting to kind of think about. I don't know. I mean, I think that Tom Brady was still probably the best quarterback in the league. So in that sense, I think that, I think that I personally would, would not be convinced in any way that Tom Brady would come back next year and be anything but like a top five, top mm-hmm. six, top seven quarterback, which is all you need to really compete. But Adonis, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I, for me, I think with Tom Brady, especially like he's an outlier, right? He could have retired sure. anytime within the past five years and it would have been the exact same, you know, all hail the goat. And I love Tom Brady. Like he, when he went to Tampa and did what he did, especially against the yeah. chiefs, I was like, man, like put the sky on, you know, the, <laughs> Legendary. you know, 
yeah, le- absolutely legendary. But then you look to other examples, you know, Sam said, uh, Luke Keekley, for instance, same thing with Patrick Willis. Sometimes these guys' yep. bodies just cannot keep up and they, and they're, exactly. they can't go through the pain anymore. And it totally makes sense. I mean, uh, Megatron's uh, Hall of Fame speech, he was talking about how, how, how those injuries are putting him in such a dark place. Same with Andrew Luck, right? You have a lot of these instances where players go out because it's, it feels like it's their time. And, and that can almost be attributed to it being a little bit too late, right? Like you did have to reach that point where your body was basically shutting you down while you still were passionate enough about the game to continue. Although I think, especially with this offseason and Sean Payton retiring, you know, quote unquote retiring, and then Tom Brady leaving, I think there's a little bit more to those stories besides the fact that there is done with the game. I mean, mm-hmm. Tampa is in a situation where they're going to look completely different next year. A lot of their guys are going to get poached. I don't think any of their coaches got uh, any other jobs as far as like, you know, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So no OCs, no DCs, I know Bulls. I uh, forget how to say his last name, but the OCs name. Oh, uh, uh, Leftwich, Byron. Yeah, Leftwich. Yeah, like he didn't go to Jacksonville, so they'll still be. You know, that nucleus is still there, but as far yeah. as your players, they're going to be completely different. Sean Payton, the Saints are in complete, you know, cap mess. So for yeah. them, he's like, I'm stepping away and letting someone else take care of this, and then I'll go to Dallas in two years. Like, no worries. So <laughs> I think for the Rams and Aaron Donald and Sean McVay, I mean, Sean McVay's publicly said even before this, when they've had losing seasons that, you know, this game is tiring and he wants a better work-life balance. And my wife is a 10. So if I don't give her attention, she's going to leave, you know, that kind of sentiment. <laughs> he didn't say that verbatim, but it's a sentiment, right? And for Aaron Donald, he's, you know, first ballot hall of famer without a doubt, even though he's yeah. not like, I mean, he's at like 98 career sacks, I think. So he's still like a hundred off from being all time, but it's like, you're at the top of the mountain. You made yeah. it. You know, 100%. the Rams are disgustingly so the 2022-21 season, like NFL champions. Like I just, you know, so why not go out on top? You're you're at an age where your body's still healthy enough. You're still in position to, you know, maybe have some other deals as far as doing broadcasting and everything after. Get after that. I don't understand why people want to push it to the limit. I know, um, and this is a funny, very deep 49er nugget example, but Chris Borland, he came in after Patrick Willis played like a really first, uh, really, really good year. We were like, oh, we just, we just recycled. We're good. Chris Borland, he's going to be, you know, the new Patrick Willis. And then he retired. He retired right at the eve of all of the kind of CTE news coming out. And he just kind of, I guess, does public speaking for that now. And that's really about it. And that was someone who essentially, and he, this guy was in his 20s, like early 20s, yeah. essentially said, I'm already starting to feel a certain kind of way. I don't think this is worth it. And he left. And that was like on a 49er team that was not good. That was in the bottom of the NFC West and had no right being in conversation. You know, we had coaches like Jim Tom Sublin, Chip Kelly out there. So I think if you're a guy who's going to go off on the top, it's better to do that than to come back next year. Cause I don't think the Rams are going to be able to repeat it. I think the NFC West is just going to get stronger. Um, and even with some quarterbacks getting leaving the NFC, probably it's it's still going to be a, a dogfight to get out of there, especially with the Niners, because they might be, you know, six and one. That's our record against them. But mm-hmm. I don't see it. Um, I don't see it flipping magically come come this next season. So yeah. I'd say sayonara, take your trophy, go off in the sunset. <laughs> I would agree. Fair take. I would agree. I, I, I mean, I actually can't really argue with much there, but I think that what, what you brought up also is an, is another interesting point, And it's just. You know, when you when you add these kind of players for these championship runs, um, you know, I, I know we discussed we wanted to really hit on the pros and cons of 
you know, making that, that true playoff push or championship push, whether it be, you know, ditching on draft capital mid season before the season, um, paying, you know, hefty premiums and free agency. Uh, I just want to get your guys's, you know, quick thoughts so we can, uh, you know, just what you guys think on that. It's worth it. Apparently mm-hmm. it's worth it. When we went on, when the Niners went on their run in 19, we, we traded with the Broncos to get, um, uh, Emmanuel Sanders. And and he was great for some games. He was super, I mean, just for a wide receiver in general, it was great yeah. at development. It was great at bringing together the team and brought a veteran, you know, championship presence to that 49ers team that helped them get all the way. And yeah. while he wasn't like an integral part in the playoff run, as we all know, that's just, you know, hand Raheem the ball and call it a day. Uh, was still super integral. So I think if you have a chance to make a run, make a run. You know, the Cardinals did. You got Zach Ertz. I would agree. Yeah, I was, was, was going to yeah. say, I think that there's like a, the, the one con in terms of the ditching draft capital would be uh, in the sense, and even the Rams is if you trade for expiring contracts, because, you know, you're, you're getting a, a discount in terms of how much you have to trade for them. You know, Zach Ertz, you only have to trade, a, we only had to trade a fifth form or was it a fifth or a fourth? Um, I think it was a fifth, but at any rate, you know, he's, he's an expiring deal. He had an unreal 11 games with the Cardinals and now he's poised to hit, you know, free agency. And then you look at Von Miller and OBJ, uh, both traded for on expirings. You know, if that doesn't happen the way it did, you know, that there's, there's a whole, there's a whole different, you know, situation you're looking at. So I think uh, that would be my only takeaway, but I would agree that ultimately you always go for the run. No, I agree. Too. Run's most important. Yeah, I, I agree. But I also think like, I'm sure we all understand this, but it's also very situational. Like I couldn't see like a team like the bears, you know, doing that. Cause there's no point to when you have yeah. that young core that you're trying to build up, especially as you have new coaches and new GM and even teams like um, the chargers who I think we talked about with somebody before. Um, I mean, they have that piece, they have the quarterback piece, they have a bunch of young pieces that they're working around. Why, why not just use that draft cap draft capital to try to build up and save your cap space rather than, you know, make a trade or you know, spend all of that capital in one place, I guess. So it's definitely situational. And like, and I know we all understand that, but 1000%. Yeah. 1000%. I think it also lends itself to like just momentum, right? Like when the Niners traded for Emmanuel and then even when the Cardinals traded for Ertz, the momentum was carrying them, right? They were yeah. red hot. That was time to, acquire pieces let's run it and if yeah. it works out it works out and unfortunately neither of our teams fully you know were able to bring uh to bring that that, that lombardi home but it was worth the run there's no regrets there at the end of the day anytime you make it into the playoffs perfect you know unless you're like the seahawks you just go in there and hang out for 10 years <laughs> <laughs> i agree i agree well before we wrap up i actually want to give you one last question to finish with uh i know you you, you can plug your uh your youtube where you where you're getting <laughs> but uh uh, what, what video games you're playing lately? Yeah, um, I guess this is an interesting one. So we're in a pretty uh, hot season for for video games right now. Q1 is always pretty heavy as far as oh wow uh, releases go. Yeah, big Q1 for for anyone who who, who owns a, a console or a PC. Um, currently playing through Cyberpunk 2077. Came out last December, December of 19 or 20. I think it was 20 actually. Didn't that have like one of the reviews, right? It was like the worst. Yeah, it was horribly critically panned due to its extreme height and what I used, utilized the term scope creep problem, which is the game was too big um, and too much of a mess and should have been delayed two years. And so we're, you know, almost two years later and they 
have patched it and it was 25 bucks and I was like, let's give it a shot. And uh, it's not good. It's just not good. So I was, uh, I'm glad I got to make my own opinion on that. But we got a couple other releases coming. Horizon Forbidden West just came out. And then Elden Ring comes out next week. And then we got Gran Turismo Sport coming out in like March. So plenty of games to play. I'll be, I'll be running through all of them. So it'll be a great time. And I'll probably just be tweeting about them uh, until someone throws me a check. So, you know. <laughs> amazing. Well, yeah. Jonas, thank you for hopping on. Thank we you, really appreciate you. it. That was amazing. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll likely be sitting side by side at a Niners Cardinals game next year. So I, I, I would love nothing more. Thanks for the, thanks for being gracious hosts. Thanks for the great topics and uh, best of luck for uh, anyone who has to follow up, uh, from this great conversation. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, bro.